You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians Network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader would want you to. Hey there, Liberty lovers. This is Mark Clare of the Lions of Liberty podcast, where we strive to bring you great conversations about the ideas of liberty three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check us out at lionsofliberty.com. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. Hey, Liberty Rockers, this is Johnny Rocket from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Each week, I strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, economists, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check it out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com or find us on iTunes. Each show is action-packed, explicit, and a lot of fun. So join me at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com every week for the newest episode. Keep liberty alive and rock and roll. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. We bring you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves while putting people before political parties. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective with the goal of leaving you better informed. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and subscribe on Patreon at WeAreLibertarians.com. In exchange, we give you all kinds of cool stuff for being a subscriber, including extra bonus content that you cannot hear. Every single episode for our Patreon subscribers is CD quality, commercial free, and has all the, like there's 15 minutes of extra show that you're missing out on if you're not a Patreon subscriber. $10 a month, you get to watch the show live uh, and access to our exclusive, private, awesome, fun uh, Facebook group. I almost forgot there. went full boomer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, sometimes it's fun because we talk about the people in the, uh, in the big group. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, you on Tuesday nights can call into the We Are Libertarian show at 317-699-7236. We are taking your calls now. We are up and live. And you can also send us news stories at or uh, comments and questions at editor at wearelibertarians.com. Please be warned that this show is raw, unedited, authentic, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. And 
Uh, Carly Ernst says she has the intro memorized and says it without realizing it randomly. I'm going to be changing the uh, intro soon, so I'm sorry about that. Harry Price is my co-host for the Tuesday show. Harry, how are you? I'm going good, going good. And um, I don't know why we got people in the chat room talking about they're coming off of caffeine. Never come off caffeine. Always do more. Can always have more coffee. So I have very few vices. Okay. You, okay. You, yeah. Can you name my vices? Do you know what they? What, do you know what my vices are? I'm going to say books. Um, I don't feel like that's a vice. That's yeah, it's a book. Yeah, I love books. Yeah, I have 125 um, library books. You have a uh, 10 by 10 storage unit full of books. I do. Um. <laughs> uh, no. So the the things that I do that I would like to stop doing. It's oh that thing. Uh, let's see. Um, there's the nasal thing. I'm addicted to Afrin, which I found out this week doing show prep. There's a region. And a town in Syria called Afrin. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Must be your people. The other, and, I, and I, so I started both of these when I worked with Abdul 10 years ago. I was doing morning radio, mm-hmm. and I was getting up at 4.30 every morning and going in and producing a news talk show. Uh, and Abdul and I reunited for the first time in nearly eight years on radio. I will be on WIBC in Indianapolis on Saturday. Uh, today's the 10th, so it would be like, what, the 15th to 14th yeah. at 2 p.m. I'll put the the audio if I can get it in there for the, the Patreon subscribers. I am reunited with Abdul on the air. My day job has allowed me to go on another radio station to participate in this, so I'm very thankful for that. Uh, and But when I was doing morning radio, I had uh, I had a problem. Like, my nose was constantly stuffed up. So I started, I got a cold, and I started doing Afrin. Haven't stopped. The other is caffeine pills. I didn't know you did those. Every morning. Yep. What? For 10 years. Just drink coffee. I hate coffee. I hate Why? the taste of it. I hate the taste of it. I, I only like water and and the occasional Coca-Cola. Oh, that means you have from the coffee brew that you that you really like. It, it I could smells you, you like know. it tastes dirty, like dirty sweat socks. Um, how dare you? And um, like I said, you've, you probably, probably like had like crappy Starbucks coffee. No, I've never had any coffee. I've never even tasted it. Then how do you know like it's like it stinks and it's all bad? Just don't like the smell of it. Not for me. It's like the same with alcohol. I'm just I'm very particular. Like, the reason that so many people like to listen to the show is because I'm a complete and total weirdo. If, well, I, well, <laughs> if I were normal, nobody'd want to listen to me. <laughs> we, well, um, there those of us who you know. Who can speculate how you'll probably be on alcohol? Don't want you to drink, and we're glad you don't drink alcohol. See, I got a ruling from uh, our friend Hannah, and she said I think you'd be a fun drunk. I, I think you'd be um, either two ways. You'd be that guy that you cannot get to stop hugging, like that hugging guy. <laughs> you okay. look like you'd just be that hugging drunk, or this hit me. Come on, come on, <laughs> come on! I can't even feel it. Hit me, you know. That uh, drunk, and then you hit them, and you realize you've been hit, and then somehow become this violent drunk, which I don't want. So I want neither of those spangles. I like this spangle that's right in front of me that, you know, pounds water. You know, hopefully you get you to pound coffee. Yeah. And, um, no, um, coffee's good for you. Um, you know, ex- help exercise your heart and everything. Online, you know, like other energy drinks and stuff like that. Of course, I do love if, some coffee. If I do an energy drink, and uh, I will occasionally, like I did tonight. Mm-hmm. Probably about once every two or three months. I'm pretty sleepy for a show. I'm always tired, but I'm I was particularly sleepy because I didn't get my normal I will come home, I will leave work about four on a Tuesday or Thursday. I will lay down and for like 
30 minutes. No no phone, nothing. Just lay there, mm-hmm. maybe meditate, or, or just to like shut myself down for like 30 minutes. Then I wake up, I start cooking or eating or show prepping, and I do that till you get here. Mm-hmm. Didn't get that chance today because I was doing the, the interview with Abdul, and uh, so I pounded a V8 energy drink. They're like these little cans. They're small cans, and they're like the V8 energy green tree drink, uh-huh. green tea. They're really good. Okay. Yeah, it gets me all pepped up. I do coffee. You do pumpkin spice. That's not coffee. I do coffee. Okay. Thank not, you very much. Not. All right. I drink the 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 the, the, the coffees. All right. I, and I'm really sad. My espresso machine is still. I still haven't bought myself a new one. Hopefully, I get my birthday's coming up. So hopefully, I get one of those for my birthday. Hopefully. Please. Please. All right. So we hit, ha- hit Lacey. We are taking like Lacey listens to this stupid show. She she does when I force her to. Christy Avery says she's never done it black. She just does creamer and sweetness. It's better black. (laughs) All right, we are taking your phone calls. We are going to talk about the Syrian uh, gassing and the uh, amazing coincidence that happened this week. Yes, Harry? You cut my joke off. I was going to say it's better black. You get those extra two inches in your cup. In your cup. Because you don't have the room for cream. Glad we stopped for that. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, so... um, Talking about Syria tonight, going to go in-depth on everything that uh, comes along with that conflict. We're going to talk about Zuckerberg in front of Congress. We're going to talk about uh, Mueller and his investigation. Things are starting to look a little iffy for the president, finally. And uh, why? Listen, I'm not a constitutional scholar. I didn't go to law school. But I do know that when your lawyer gets raided by the FBI, that's a bad situation. So we'll explain that why coming up in that. And uh, I'm looking over here. We got a lot of we got a whole stack of stuff. You know, it's a whole point, stack of stuff point, over point here. Point of order. Uh, point of order. Um, according to my agenda, uh, Zuck is not on the agenda. We will also be talking about knife control. Yeah, Zuck was a late addition. Uh, you were on the road already. Um, Okay, so we are always on Tuesdays taking phone calls. Add it yourself, okay? Quit being a baby. Does it exist if it's not on the He list? is the most high-maintenance co-host I have ever had in my life. It's what? What's your uh, Myers-Briggs? I'm an uh, ENTJ. That's why. You're like a little dictator. Yes. ENTJs. Brett Bittner's a, a dictator. Yes, that's why we're dangerous together. I think that's why we like formed a good knit <laughs> together. I think he might have stopped his podcast. I need to check in with him. The uh, feed doesn't seem to be working. But we're taking phone calls as we do every Tuesday night. Every Tuesday night, we're late tonight, but every Tuesday around 7.30, we will fire up the app. We have a mobile app for Android and iOS where you can listen to We Are Libertarians Radio. And uh, Tuesday nights, we stream live on the app. And we're also on TuneIn Radio. Look for We Are Libertarians Radio. You can stream us on Alexa. You can stream us on Google Home. Uh, we're on iTunes Radio under the talk section. So We Are Libertarians Radio is a, a 24-7 streaming uh, channel, usually late afternoon, the day after. So if we, we you know, on a, late on a Wednesday, late on a Friday, you can hear the new show streaming there if you don't catch it on download. Um, but on Tuesday nights, we take your phone calls so you can weigh in on the topics. Love for you to join in at 317-699-7236. We have one call. Here are the rules. 
I'm going to pick you up. You're going to say your name, and then you're going to state your business. Okay? Get right into it. I don't want any dilly-dallying around. I don't want any nonsense. Do not call in with nonsense. Right, Harry? You Yes. No nonsense. No nonsense. Yeah. All right. So 765, you are on the air with We Are Libertarians. What's your name? Oh, see, this is – what's your name, caller? This is Boss Hog. Boss Hog of – see, he's here to promote himself, which I'm okay with because no. the Boss Hog of Liberty is a great show on the We Are Libertarians Network. Boss Hog, what's I'm just up? here to thank dear leader. I heard there was a promotion that you did on our behalf oh, that's going to air this weekend. So I, I had to personally call you and drop my busy schedule to say a thank you. Well, I appreciate that. All thank yous to dear leader should be made public. Uh, yeah, so I, I promoted Boss Hog on a radio station. Not only did I promote my day job on WIBC, I promoted the, their competition. I also promoted the Boss Hog of Liberty and We Are Libertarians. So uh, you've got quite the controversy out there in Henry County. Uh, I'm, I expect full coverage on Thursday's show of the big controversy that is taking place there in Newcastle. Can you fill us in on this breaking news? There's been all kinds of controversy. Of course, there's the Doughboy we've talked about. But in the last week, there is a, a turkey named Eric that has been in the road that has completely derailed the entire news cycle. We've, we've had an election cycle that's been concerned about wind farms and Doughboys. And some turkey named Eric has completely crushed the social media scene. Now, and, how, uh, how do you know it, his it, name it, is it, Eric? It, well, it created a Facebook page, Chris. This turkey has created a Facebook page, and it's more popular. I have to admit it. I hate to admit it, but this turkey, Newcastle turkey, calls himself Eric. Mm -hmm. He has got more fans than any other politician in Henry County except for Jeremiah Morrill. <laughs> Thank God. But that's not going to last. Uh, you need to go find Jeremiah Morrill political and like that page so I don't lose to a damn turkey. This but, turkey uh, was sexually – this turkey asked for, for dates and then started sexually harassing women last night. Real animal, this turkey. Uh, it's it's absolutely alarming the uh, what this turkey's been doing. There was a near death scare. I I was in a meeting this evening. I looked on on the internet and uh, the whole town was freaking out. Some call went out on the Henry County Scanners page, and they saw a, a corpse of a bird being picked up off the road. But I, I've had a confirmed sighting. I heard that Eric the turkey is doing okay. Uh, it is not dead. So uh, and and Eric the turkey did make a Facebook post. Uh, saying that it was alive and roosting behind the Jiffy Lube in, in Newcastle, Indiana. So <laughs> this town I'm is calling to report that the uh, the turkey is is hanging on to dear life in uh, in in Newcastle, Indiana, right now. Your town is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's... I, I'm telling you, our town has got more content per capita than any other place in this world. It is a godsend <laughs> to have started the Boss Hog of Liberty in Newcastle, Indiana. All right, content, Jer. We appreciate you calling in. And everybody, go go follow Newcastle Turkey on Facebook. I hear the people that run what it. What is Afrin? What is Afrin? That is that is the question for the next presidential candidate. Uh, <laughs> not what is Aleppo? What is Afrin? What is Afrin? Uh, well, make sure you follow it. I hear the admins of that page, the people who help ghostwrite, are very handsome. Very sexy bitches, indeed. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Take care. Uh, Facebook.com slash Boss Hog Liberty and, of course, Patreon.com slash Boss Hog Liberty. I just, I just dropped him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let's, let's dive in. Uh, lots of good times. 
So glad you're here with us. Glad to talk to the boss hog. Uh, that turkey page is some funny stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, what is not funny stuff is the situation in Syria. We have not talked a lot about it recently. Um, the roots of this go back to the Arab Spring, and if you remember, a, a, a fruit vendor in Tunisia was the genesis of the Arab Spring in 2012. And I think in this, I mean, it's spring, so right around now in 2012 is when that started. And local police were harassing this fruit vendor, and they kept coming up and harassing, harassing, harassing. And finally, he just said, I can't take it anymore, lit himself on fire, and Mm -hmm. that is what lit the region on fire. Then you had Gaddafi and Libya fell, you had Tunisia fall, you had Egypt fall, you had... uh, disturbance in Saudi Arabia and Jordan, but those two governments held. Uh, Jordan is kind of a secular government, whereas Saudi Arabia is not, but it is it is obviously starting to liberalize a little. Um, you had disturbances in Iran, but they held out. Uh, Khomeini is still in charge there. Uh, and you just had a complete flare-up ac- across the region, and that included in Syria. And in Syria, uh, it it took an ugly turn in 2013, and it was August of 2013 when uh, I think a thousand people were killed in a sarin gas attack, and Barack Obama was quick to blame the Assad government mm-hmm. uh, in in a speech on September 10th, 2013, which I watched today. I went back and watched. It's about 15 minutes long. I'll put it in the show notes. I've been really trying to get the show notes where I want them to be, so they're very detailed, lots of stories. I put all my prep in there. I organize it a little bit better, so be sure to go to wheellibertarians.com and check out those show notes. Uh, If you find an article that's interesting that you want to share with friends and family, then you can find it there. Uh, But I'll put this video in there, and uh, I won't play it. I won't waste our time with Barack Obama, but it it is funny now. Did you watch it? Yes. Okay. Yes, Isn't it funny, a year and a half into Trump, to watch Barack Obama explain the same exact situation, mm-hmm. but incredibly eloquently, intelligently, mm-hmm. with details? It was, it was like pomp, circumstance, I'd, respect. It was like, wow, this is uh, hmm. it, like pride in America. I never thought I'd almost miss Barack Obama. But he almost made me do it. Like, Trump is almost <laughs> making me do it. It's like you watch Bush now and you're like, oh, I'm a little nostalgic for Bush. No, no, I wasn't. Me neither. But but it is weird like how our, our memory compresses and we just start to like think of, oh, I, I didn't mind that guy. Even though when he was he was like the dictator to, to most of us libertarians when he was in office. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, what were your impressions of watching that speech? Uh, just like what you said, it was like re- very telling because it was like, wow, this speech could have happened on Monday. Um, the other thing was that also like a lot of the platitudes and promises in that speech, you also realize how a lot of that didn't happen. Like, will be no troops on the ground, limited strike, you know, pin pinprick, you know, strikes, surgical strikes in it that didn't happen. You know what? Let's listen to just a little bit of it. Just like the first minute. My fellow Americans. Tonight, I want to talk to you about Syria, why it matters, and where we go from here. Over the past two years, what began as a series of peaceful protests against the repressive regime of Bashar al-Assad has turned into a brutal civil war. Over 100,000 people have been killed. 
Millions have fled the country. In that time, America has worked with allies to provide humanitarian support, to help the moderate opposition, and to shape a political settlement. But I have resisted calls for military action because we cannot resolve someone else's civil war through force, particularly after a decade of war in Iraq and Afghanistan. The situation profoundly changed, though, on August 21st, when Assad's government gassed to death over a thousand people, including hundreds of children. The images from this massacre are sickening. Men, women, children lying in rows, killed by poison gas, others foaming at the mouth, gasping for breath, a father clutching his dead children, imploring them to get up and walk. On that terrible night, the world saw in gruesome detail the terrible nature of chemical weapons and why the overwhelming majority of humanity has declared them off-limits, a crime against humanity, and a violation of the laws of war. This was not always the case. In World War I, America... All right, so <clears throat> there's 14 other minutes, but it is interesting, Harry, to... To go back and hear Barack Obama and hear, like, the same situation mm-hmm. nearly five years later. Oh, yeah. I remember, like, when I was seeing, like, the news report about the when the, the gas attacks again here, you know, supposed to gas attacks here in 2018, and, like, watching it on Reuters and watching everything happen because they were, like, one, they were pausing, you know, like, well, we don't know. This is what we suspect it is. And then come this week on that um, on that Monday you know, uh, watching other stuff happen, like, and, and still, just, I don't, I think, still not on this hour, they still haven't said it, like, what, what really did happen on Monday, right. this Monday. But, yeah, it's, and it's also very telling to see, like, even though, like, all this stuff has changed, all this stuff has happened, it, we're, it's almost like nothing, you know, we, sp- um, the United States government has spent all this money, have done all this, and nothing has changed. Yeah. Especially in front of, a, like, a week where um, the president has talked about, you know, scaling things back and bringing this back. So this is a very, in terms of foreign policy, a very non-interventionist speech in a lot of ways. He was certainly not a non-interventionist president, but he goes on to talk about how this is a violation of norms Mm -hmm. uh, and there needs to be some action, but he's not going to unilaterally take that action. He's going to, as the head of the Constitutional Republic, ask Congress to declare to basically authorize the strikes right. not to declare outright war but just to authorize the strikes um and uh so it, it is it really i do think it is worth uh your time to to listen to all 15 minutes i'll tell you what i'll do i'll actually just rip the audio and i'll put it at the end of this podcast um because it is a very instrumental moment for not only the obama presidency but syria and and american foreign policy uh, obviously, Obama before this had said that the use of chemical weapons in Syria would be a red line. We've all heard that. Mm-hmm. That if that happened, then it would be it would cross the line, and there would have to be action. So this is his speech to the American people, saying there needs to be action. Here's why, and he is essentially saying we're going to find a diplomatic solution. We've been talking to the Russians. I've been talking to Putin. This is back in 2013 when the Russians, uh, they were in the middle of the reset. The Russians were good. They were our friends. Mm -hmm. Then Trump got elected and they're our enemies now. Um, And so 
Uh, he's he says, you know, John Kerry's talking to the Russians. We're talking with the UN. We're talking with the Chinese and the Russians to introduce something in the United Nations. Uh, and we want to find a diplomatic solution, but we do need to strike Assad if we can't do this diplomatically. So what happens is what had happened was uh, they ended up getting that solution done diplomatically. The United Nations declares at some point in the next year or two that Syria is completely chemical free. Assad is backed by the Russians, and the Russians basically wanted to protect their their uh, oil and gas interests and also to basically pretend to be a player on the world stage. Mm-hmm. And they started backing Assad uh, for stability reasons. And the uh, – so – Assad's backed by the Russians. The Russians put pressure on him, and they clear the country of chemical weapons, supposedly. And conservatives, I was listening to a conservative podcast, and they were saying, you know, this the, the current conflict is the direct result of Obama's, Obama's do-nothing foreign policy. Uh, and the answer, there isn't a military strike that a Republican hasn't met that they don't like. Like I like Ben Shapiro, but Ben Shapiro is awful mm-hmm. on on uh, interventionism. Like he and he loves to call Ron Paul a Rand Paul an isolationist. Isolationist is North Korea. They don't believe in economic trade. Even uh, Rand Paul is a non-interventionist who says I want to protect our interests. In a lot of ways, Donald Trump is a non-interventionist. He says he he was talking this week. We need to pull out of Syria. Well, it's not in our interest to be there. It's not in our interest to be in the Middle East. Uh, and so the the conservatives that you'll hear talk about this blame Barack Obama for for uh, the current situation, yeah. which is, A, kind of stupid because it would be a mess no matter what. Egypt is, an, Egypt is stable. Tunisia is stable. Li- Libya is stable, but they're not necessarily thriving. Uh, and Syria is uh, one of the, if not the worst humanitarian crisis in history, and it's not Barack Obama's fault. It is the fault of major powers and the Syrian government and ISIS and a lot of different competing interests. But to blame just Barack Obama is so short-sighted and silly. Uh, and he does play a role in that this is this is uh, part of the problem of the United States over the last decade is waffling we don't look consistent with george w bush you knew what you were getting and you knew he'd follow through Mm -hmm. including doing incredibly dumb stuff like invading iraq there was you had a clear worldview with george w bush and he articulated it i completely disagree with it from a matter of policy perspectives but he was clear Mm -hmm. okay barack obama was never clear about his foreign policy. He was situational. And I think a lot of libertarians, I think we would probably be the same as Barack Obama in the way that we handled foreign policy in, in, in that it, we would be more clear about our non-interventionism. But I do think there would be um, – well, maybe let me put it this way. If you're going to be non-interventionist, mm-hmm. be better than Barack Obama. <laughs> Because he was incredibly unclear about it. He was pussyfooting through it. And I think that there is some truth to what Glenn Beck once said. He said uh, he was in the Oval Office with George W. Bush, 
and Barack Obama was talking about pulling out of Iraq and Afghanistan, and Bush uh, saw it on the TV, and he goes, you know what? Here's the thing. Barack is a true believer, and I think he believes what he's saying. But the second he sits down in this office and the realities hit him in the face, he will not be, he will not be the same Barack Obama. And that's what happened. Uh, and that's kind of what's happening with Trump. Uh, so I think there are things that they see that we don't see that are troubling, but a lot of it is caused by our own stupidity. So I know I'm preaching clarity and not being clear, but so the the lack of clarity in this, where Barack Obama says there's a red line, but then he never actually introduced consequences, where he says we're going to have military strikes, and then there are no military strikes. We've gotten rid of chemical weapons, and then chemical weapons show up in 2017. Mm-hmm. There, you know, we're we're going to be tough on Iran, and then we give them like a billion dollars. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. There's the the problem with Barack Obama's foreign policy is that he was he was he had one foot in Bush, uh, the Bush doctrine mm-hmm. and the Bush policies that he inherited, and he had one foot in the non-interventionist camp. And you can't do that. You've got to be more bold, because when you're not bold. You end up with something like the Iran deal, where you help fund their their adventurism into other countries, where now Iran basically controls Iraq. They're trying to control Syria, and uh, Turkey, once one of our allies in the war on terror, in and was trying to be admitted to the EU, and I think they are in the EU. I don't know. I don't know. Can you look that up, please? Uh, and. Now Turkey is trying to invade Syria and and take up land. Iran is taking up land in Syria. The Kurds are hanging on for dear life. ISIS has taken up a position in Syria. We have been funding uh, the Kurds and a group uh, of freedom fighters, of rebels, that started out – we've started out funding – uh, ISIS. <laughs> There's a, a famous picture of John McCain back in 2013 in Syria with future leaders of ISIS. Uh, all those brand new Toyotas that ISIS was driving were built by the Americans, funded uh, by the Americans, and sent through the the embassy in Libya. Which is the biggest mistake because everyone knows Toyotas do not stop. Okay, <laughs> right. You know, we need to get them out of those Toyotas, put them in Chevrolet trucks. They'll put break down everywhere. <laughs> no, they won't be able to get nowhere. Okay, we just need to trade them out. So, uh, what'd you find out about the EU and Turkey? Oh, sorry, I wanted to say that. Uh, are, are you looking up waifus? You're looking no. up waifus right now, aren't you? No, I don't even know what a waifu is, but it makes me laugh. Just the word waifu. Um, according to this thing, it's they yeah, they put their application in and they did um, they have their ascension bid in. So okay, they're trying to get into the EU, but it's not going to happen because they have be- er- 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 Erdogan has basically become. A dictator in Turkey. Uh, the Americans obviously have a position. We have 2,000 troops in Syria. We're consistently droning and uh, air striking in Syria. Uh, the Russians have a foothold in Syria. They back Assad. We back the opposite ter- uh, team. Uh, there were 150 to 200 Russian mercenaries that were killed by U.S. bombs by the United States Air Force. About three months ago, two months ago, uh, and the Kremlin said absolutely nothing because they deny that they have troops in the actual region, like they do in Ukraine. 
They have no troops in Ukraine. Um, <laughs> right. Which this like the Russians used to say, oh, we have no troops in North Korea. And like all during the Korean War, it was nothing but Russian MiGs that were shooting at American planes. So it, it's did those good. There. They always say, oh, we have no troops there. But it's a total lie. What, what were you going to say? Apparently, um, Turkey was mm-hmm. all, uh, asked to be in the EU early on, mm-hmm. but declined because they, you know, they thought they're going to lose their sovereignty. Mm hmm. And Good call. It's true. <laughs> yes. Right. But now they now they backed the like I said the application to try to get EU status again. So uh, we are taking your calls on Syria three one seven six nine nine seven two three six. We also tweet that out, Facebook post that on Tuesdays, uh, and you can see what we're talking about. So uh, they they clear Syria of all chemical weapons. Now, we covered this back on the show in 2013, and we were skeptical that it was actually Assad that committed the, the bombing in 2013. Uh, it just, it just, stuff didn't add up. Right. And it didn't make any sense that he would actually, it, it has never made sense that Assad would use chemical weapons, because it makes him a war criminal, as if he's not already, but it makes him a war criminal, and it, it just never, it the the chess pieces just didn't quite fit. It made more sense for oppositions to to use chemical weapons to make him look bad, to put international pressure on him than it did for Assad to use weapons at that time. Correct, because considering what uh, happened to the other dictators in that region that did not, one, did not have uh, chemical weapons, didn't find WMD, or got rid of their nuclear weapons right. and gas weapons and saw what they did to Gaddafi, it's like, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to use gas. Like, whoa, whoa, you know, yeah. this is what... You know, look what they did to people who did less than this. So that also didn't add up. It's, it's one of those things that just don't add up. Yeah. Just like the whole nerve agent attack in um, the UK. That just doesn't add up. So you you basically have an erosion over the last, since 2012, an erosion to the point where if, I'll put uh, an embedded vice, uh, the, it, Isabel Young went to Syria uh, I think last year, and y- you cannot imagine what it's like there. I mean, you really can't. I mean, it's it is. Uh, if you've ever seen the photos of Berlin and in 1942, and how everything is just completely bombed, like it, that's exactly what Syria looks like. There's 133,000 people moving out of a suburb of Damascus right now, where this gas attack took place, uh, and. For all that you hear about Syrian rebels, these are not people who are terrorists. These are the people, you know, conservatives claim, oh, if if you have Syrian refugees come into your country, then the men are all terrorists. Well, that's not necessarily the truth. Could there be... Men of fighting age. Right. So could there be ISIS hiding amongst refugees? Of course there could be. Yes. But you're talking about 133,000 old men, women, and children... Mm-hmm. Who are who are leaving their homeland to go to where? I mean, they're hiding in the mountains of Italy. They're hiding in the mountains of France. They're they have no home. They have no place to go. I mean, Syria. What was the the actual population total of Syria? I think it was it's a few million, but it's it's they've lost two million people. Yeah. I think in the last several well, decades. Well, because the United States put weapons of war on their streets, so yeah. they had to get the heck out. Exactly right. And this is the thing about. Immigration that a lot of people don't understand is immigration is a natural part of humanity. I mean, the freedom to move to places that are more prosperous is an essential part of libertarianism. 
and you can judge the wealth and the security of an actual location by the migration patterns. So the more people migrating to the United States means our economy is doing better. Yep. That's good. And we can accommodate, accommodate those people. Uh, the more people, like in 2008 to 2012, there weren't many immigrants coming in because nobody wanted to come here because there weren't any jobs. Uh, what's the population numbers on Syria? According to this thing, uh, Wikipedia says 2011, Syria was at 23 million. Okay. In, tw- in 2011, and then that's all that Wikipedia has. 23 million is an incredibly large amount of people. I know. It's like... I said, like I said, I referenced, that's what I said, Wikipedia. So fast forward to Trump getting into office last year, and there was another chemical attack. Now, Trump has always been pro leaving Syria, non-interventionist, why are we there? But then there's this chemical attack in 2017, and Trump decides to uh, blow up an airfield mm-hmm. in retaliation for the use of chemical weapons because he's so moved by the images on TV. Uh, now, this came out in Newsweek.com. Okay, This is an article that Harry found, which is excellent, Harry. Excellent work. This is this reads like Infowars, and I had to double <laughs> I, know, right? I had to double check right? my sources. I thought I was reading antiwar.com. But the if you read the Infowars piece I did put in there, that sounds more believable than the Newsweek.com article, <laughs> yeah. uh, which we'll put in the show notes. This is called "Now Mattis Admits There Was No Evidence Assad Used Poison Gas on His Own People." Uh, Secretary of Defense James Mattis. Uh, this was during the Nunez memo and the Steele dossier. It went totally under the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mattis said that there was, quote, no evidence that the Syrian government used ban- the banned nerve agent Sarin against its own people. This assertion flies in the face of the uh, NSC, the National Security Council memorandum, which was rapidly produced and declassified to justify an American Tomahawk missile strike against Syria, against the Shirat Air Base in Syria. Mattis offered no temporal qualifications, which means that both the 2017 event in Khan Shaikhoun and the 2013 tragedy in Gauta are unsolved cases in the eyes of the DOD and Defense Intelligence Agency. Uh, Mattis went on to acknowledge that aid groups and others had provided evidence and reports, but stopped short of naming President Assad as the culprit. There were casualties from the poisoning, uh, the organ softenate poisoning. In both cases, that much is certain, but the Americas accused Assad of direct responsibility for sarin attacks and even blamed Russia for culpability in the 2017 Khan Shaikun tragedy. Now, its own military boss has said on the record that we have no evidence to support this conclusion. Serious experienced chemical weapons experts and investigators such as Hans Blix, Scott Ritter, Gareth Porter, Theodore Postel have all cast doubt on official American narratives regarding Assad employing sarin. In the 2013 Gouda event, for example, employed homemade rockets of the type favored by insurgents uh, were found. The White House memorandum in Con- on Khan Shaikon showed to seem to rely heavily on the testimony from the Syrian white helmets who were filmed at the scene having contact with the supposed sarin-tainted casualties and not suffering any ill effects. Likewise, these same actors were filmed wearing chemical weapons training suits around the supposed points of impact in Khan Shaikun in 2017, something which makes their testimony and samples highly suspect. A training suit offers no protection at all 
And these people would be all dead if they had come into contact with real sarin gas. The fact that UN investigators were in Syria when the chemical weapons event in Khan Shaikun occurred in April 2017 makes it highly dubious that Assad would have given the order to use sarin at that time. Common sense suggests that Assad would have chosen any other time than that to use a banned weapon that he had agreed to destroy and never employ. Furthermore, he would be placing his at risk his patronage from Russia if they turned him as a, on him as a war criminal and withdrew their support. There's a compelling analysis from Gareth Porter, who is a great interview on the Scott Horton show. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend going back and listening to some of uh, his interviews on Scott Horton, yep. suggesting that phosphine could have been released by an airborne munition striking a chemical depot since the clouds and casualties, while organophosphate appearing in some respects, do not appear to be similar to mil-spec sarin, particularly the high-test Russian bomb-carried sarin, which independent which independent groups like Bellingcat insist were deployed. So, fast forward to April of 2018, a year later. Uh, On April 8th, uh, there was a chemical weapons attack against a rebel-held Damascus suburb that left dozens dead. At least 42 people were found suffocated in their homes in the town of Duma, while additional 500 sought medical aid for exposure to chemical agents, according to the Syrian American Medical Society. Um, Trump tweeted out, Many dead, including women and children, in mindless, all-caps, chemical attack in Syria. Uh, President Putin, Russia, and Iran are responsible for backing animal assault. Big price. In rushing to respond to this latest attack, policymakers are failing to consider either the effectiveness or the risks of military action, says John Glazer foreign policy expert at the Cato Institute. What are we actually trying to achieve? That last strike had zero strategic or tactical utility. Uh, it didn't improve the humanitarian situation. It didn't deter the Assad regime from taking action against his own people. Um, and he's exactly right. The same... So we could have an airstrike. All right, let's take out another military base. Mm-hmm. Okay, and last year... The Defense Department called the Russians, Mattis called the Russians, and he said, we're blowing up this airstrip. They had a day's notice. Mm -hmm. Then they went in and they blew up all all the airstrips. Well, if you're trying to uh, cripple his ability to drop bombs from airplanes, why wouldn't you blow up Assad's planes or blow up some Russian planes? That might be effective. Instead of just blowing up an airship that the Russians can rebuild in a month. Uh, Yeah, um, but... Why do the same thing when it doesn't do anything? It doesn't work. Well, you don't want to blow up a Russian plane. Well, we already have. Ameri- Ameri- <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. American yeah, yeah. anti-military aircraft yeah. have already blown up Russian aircraft in in Syria. You mm-hmm. just haven't probably haven't seen it reported, right? Because they've also probably hit one of ours. Probably a tip for that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's more of a, just more like they're either just trading favors around. That's what it feels like. It's a favor trade. Mm-hmm. I give you this, you give me something like this, we'll blow this up, so it'll look like, you know, so we do something on the main stage, right. like we did something, and you call them, then it goes to them like down because we think your boy is using chemical weapons, and if they're doing that, then we'll hit a bunch of sanctions with you on Russia, right. because you're backing someone who uses chemical weapons. There was a, a, a peace meeting right. that was taking place in Syria while Trump was saying that he wanted to pull out of Syria. Mm-hmm. The Americans were not represented at that peace meeting last week. 
Like we're, when you say on the grand on the grand stage, we're not really involved in this. Well, because we lost a lot of credibility, like uh, and a lot of different things in the last like ten years. Yeah, I mean yeah. the last fifteen. Yeah, when you go back to you know Christopher Thomas in the chat said Hans Blix was the guy who was wrong about WMDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, was he was he saying there were WMDs or was he saying there are no WMDs in Iraq? Uh, I remember Hans Blix being a bad guy to conservatives back when I was one. Uh, but I thought he was the one that was saying. It. I thought the one that was didn't was like a because uh, Colin Powell that said there was, and I believe. Blitz was the one that said there wasn't. Right. That's what I'm saying. I think Hans Blix was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Christopher Thomas in the chat. Yeah. Hans Blix was the guy that was right about not, Iraq not having WMDs. Yeah. And he was shouted out and like, this guy's, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. So, yes. right. yeah. Blix was the head of the United Nations Monitoring, Verification, and Inspection Committee from 2000 to 2003. And, and um, with the rest of the thing when we were talking about. Tre- he found no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And Hans Blix was right, not George Bush. I just remember that. Uh, so he was he was right about there being no WMDs, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, doing the same thing over and over. We have two thousand troops there. They're mostly special forces, uh, and two thousand reported troops. Of course, there's a CIA. There's uh, many other. I'm sure mercenaries, um, people that have paid to do different things. Um, as um, like yeah, information as they like. It's more of a this is that's who they re- recorded and put down there as soldier troops. Yeah. Now I thought um, this article in Reason that we were just reading Trump Mole's military response to Syrian chemical attack made a good point by Glazer. Only a fraction of the 400,000 people killed in Syria have been victims of chemical weapons attacks. Let me repeat that. 400,000 people killed in the last five years in a country of 23 million. Uh, Gas and chemical weapons hold a special place in our minds for revulsion and cruelty, cruelty, says Glazer. But it's not at all rational, I think, given how deadly the other forms of warfare have been in this civil war. Uh, John Mearshemeyer, an international relations scholar has made this point well, saying in 2014, the idea that getting killed by gas is more horrible than getting ripped apart by shrapnel and bullets is not one I buy. Mm-hmm. We're going to be competing in the air with Russia. Arani- the Iranians and Russia are fighting together, for Assad, by the way. We're going to be competing in the air with Russia and potentially coming into a clash with them, he says. Iranian forces are on the ground. If we kill a bunch of Iranians in these strikes... Is it going to disentangle into some kind of fight against Iran in the region, which would be deeply costly? Uh, or, you know, and I would add, do we want to do we want to get ourselves involved in an in a fight with the the Russians who are nuclear armed? Not even that, but they're already on the ropes because of the whole um, nerve gas attack in the UK. That everyone's saying it that they did it, even though right. like they haven't really been tested, and all the Russian science haven't seen it yet, all the way yet. That's supposed to happen, I think next week. They're supposed to mm-hmm. go through, and and but but you've got other countries saying they do, expelling their diplomatic agents. Um, Putin's entire election this entire year was ran on the simple fact that the world's hate us, the world's out to get us. Yep. Vote for Putin, and Putin will make sure you know everyone will respect us. Yeah. There's a great podcast called The Eastern Border. It's from a, a guy who does, uh, he basically looks at the history of Russia and the Soviet Union. Uh, he's in Estonia, I believe. Okay. And he did an episode almost a year to the day about the attacks last year where he's basically reading Russian news for us. Mm-hmm. And their main news aggregator, like their Drudge report that is attached to the Kremlin, 
basically said this is a declaration of war against the Russians. You know, the Americans are blood hung. Like, it's really interesting to hear him read through the comment section of what Russians think about us. Mm-hmm. And they their view is kind of what a lot of libertarians would guess, which is they believe that Americans are out to use their military might to get their interests, to put their interests forth. Uh, there was a lot of... The, those idiot rednecks don't know they're being controlled by the Jews, <laughs> uh, So, which I don't agree with. I'm just saying that's what they said. Sound like, yeah, comment section. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it sounds yeah. like a comment yeah. section. Yeah, like, the other thing is, like, I, I wouldn't even say, like, even, like, uh, the EU even got Poland to go along with the whole, like, you know, going against um, Russia thing for this whole nerve gate. Right. Nerve gauge. So, like, Can you explain this? Give us a nutshell because we haven't covered it yet. What Poland? Or ner- no, the nerve agent. The nerve thing. agent in in Britain. Well, we covered this on Low Key Wall. Right. So the low keyers, people who go to the basement of the We Are Libertarian Studios to listen to Low Key Wall. Exactly. Is- Extra informed. Yeah. Which you can listen to Low Key Wall as a Patreon subscriber, five dollars a month or more, and you get access mm-hmm. to the private Patreon feed, and you can listen to Harry host mm-hmm. Low mm-hmm. Key Wall. Yeah, which is the the live fan show on Wednesday nights on Twitch on Twitch. Uh, dot tv slash we are as letter r libertarians oh, really fun but anyways um let's see if i can like rush through this back and try to do it quickly um basically um uh, x spy uh x kgb spy um defected to the uh defected to the uk gave a bunch of information stayed stayed in the uk um you know Putin, back back Putin, back, to, back in the cold war era fast forward to the day he's out at a cafe with his uh with his daughter and apparently, what they found out is a nerve agent, nerve agent attack, uh, killed, uh, not killed, um, injured him, his wife, and the cop that discovered it. And they're so they're in the hospital. And have to deal with that. The UK government believe that this, the nerve agent cat came from um, um, came from the Russian government. Darn it! Russia gave um, the UK gave uh, the Russian government like a, I think it was like a week to get everybody out. They started expelling agent who they believed to be um, the spies of the Kremlin. And started kicking people out of their country, and start and started to do the proceedings, started to do like sanctions against them, and started pushing everyone else to it. The U.S. start, the U.S. expunged sixty. All kinds of different European countries started doing that as well. And that happened. Was it two weeks before the Russian election? Yeah. What what most people don't. So when you hear the Americans uh, close the Seattle embassy and ship sixty Russians back to their country. Mm-hmm. Uh, Embassies are mainly just uh, like spy hubs. Yeah. <laughs> and so what the Russians were doing by expelling the Americans from their embassy in St. Petersburg is shipping back 20 American spies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the there's the ambassador, but the, the, these people are intelligence assets that are on the ground. And every country allows it because they know that they're doing it on their on their turf. It's just it's part of the game and that's mm-hmm. how it's played. And. Yeah, and so they're expelling them. They're shipping their spies back. Uh, so yep. Russia is uh, yep. Russia, and this is not uncommon. So Putin, and I think what a lot of this is is Donald Trump is a new president. They knew what they were going to get with Bush. Mm-hmm. The Russians, Middle East countries, the world knew what they were getting with Bush. Obama was a little bit less clear, but still he was. You're played the game. Milk toast, typical. I believe Henry Kissinger knows what he's talking about, and he's God. Mm-hmm. You know Brezhnev and uh, or, or Brzezinski, I should say. Uh, Mika's dad. Uh, he's he's just a 
he's just a god amongst men. You know, the, the foreign policy establishment still ruled. Trump is a total wild card. And so what I think you're getting is a lot of testing of the edges by these rogue countries like Russia, which I would call a rogue country. Uh, the, he hasn't the Russian government hasn't poisoned something someone in 10 years that we like at least outside of Russia happens to journalists in Russia all the time. Uh, but you may re- remember Viktor Yushchenko, who was the Ukrainian president, I believe, and he he was running for president. Yeah. He was running for president, and he had his face turned to stone. A really interesting guy if you see him in interviews now, because mm-hmm. he's still woke. He don't give no f's. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so they haven't poisoned someone. You see the sarin gas attack. They they didn't. There were no sarin gas attacks after that 2013 attack. Mm-hmm. Then Trump is president. There's a sarin gas attack. There's another one now. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's the a lot of and stuff like this. That yes. happens. It, 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 yeah, it's like a beat keeps going off there. But the thing is, like when it comes to like Russian poisoning and the Ukraine, like when they poison people, usually when they do it, they do it because they can't get to someone by any other means. Right. That's the, the weird thing about the nerve agent attack because it's like, well, we can't get them by this means. Which, if they could sneak a nerve agent into, like, a country, right? They get this thing in, they did all this work to give it. They could easily just smuggle this person on a boat and got them heck out of the country. Mm-hmm. Or just hit them with, or just beat them with a stick. You know, it's UK, you know. But there's a lot of weird things. Like, like I said, like, when we delved into it, it was a lot of weird stuff that was going on that, you know, stuff released a lot of information on. Like, the even, like, the spot where they were attacked apparently was, like, the one part of the town where they downgraded the cameras. Mm. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, like I so Trump basically last week says I want to pull the, our 2000 troops out of Syria. Mm-hmm. We've made a huge mistake in the Middle East. He said this all along. I want out of it. I want uh we want uh sorry, I got distracted by the chat. You know, I want to pull our 2000 troops. We need to bring them home. We need to Build our own resources, our own infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'd be great if the 2,000 troops were actually going to come home and stay home, but they're not. They're going to get reassigned. Like special, oh, yeah. special ops soldiers are in such high demand that they're going to go to Yemen. They're going to go to, you know, they're not. They're not coming home. Like this is the typical cliche that libertarians love to push, which is I. I think we should bring the troops home. I do too. I totally agree with yeah. that. Yeah. But w- the reality of what our government is going to do is they're going to pull 2,000 troops out of there. They're going to say they're going to pull out 2,000 troops. They're going to pull out 1,800 troops and put them in Yemen. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the other 200 are just going to stay there off the books. Uh, so, you know, Syria is a very complicated situation, and we have such diminishing influence that it, we really we should leave. Uh, and, and you'll hear conservatives say, well, if we leave, that's weakness, and uh, you'll just create a vacuum. I'm sorry, but 2,000 American troops is not that much. You know what the American troops are doing in Syria? ISIS has ceded a lot of their territory. They no longer have the caliphate. They've mm-hmm. switched strategies back to more of an al-Qaeda strategy mm-hmm. and are more insurgent. Yeah. So you see al-Nusra and uh, I think it's Shabab, which is an Iranian terrorist-backed group. Uh, you You have... The American troops going into these these basically formerly ISIS held territories and helping them set up tribal councils, 
mm-hmm. rebuild, give them advice on how to rebuild. Like these, they're not seeing a lot of action. Like they're not on the front lines. I mean, there's bullets whizzing past. Syria has an enormous sniper problem. Uh, snipers are like the top danger for uh, uh, most Syrians who mm-hmm. are just trying to exist in some of these war-torn cities. Uh, but Americans are the ones trying to help set up. And so Trump, not only did he say he wanted to pull out, he also pulled $200 million worth of rebuilding funds uh, from the project. So the the Americans are not fighting. The Americans are doing rebuilding. Right. We're nation building. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to leave a vacuum. So conservatives and neocons who say, if we leave, we see the, the like we're already not engaged. Mm-hmm. We weren't at the peace talks last week. Our our soldiers and our money are not being used wisely. They're not really doing much, and we're just there with a tremendous amount of danger mm-hmm. for a, another world war to start. Right, because you have Turkey coming in from the north. So, like, if you look at Syria, okay, so. Like if you're if you look at Syria, it's it's just right above Israel. Most mm-hmm. of you probably know where Israel is because mm-hmm. of the Bible. <laughs> so you have you have uh, Syria, and right above that is Damascus mm-hmm. uh, in Syria, and then a little up the road, straight north is Homs, and that was the Syrian rebel capital essentially. Mm-hmm. And then above there is Aleppo, and then right above there is Afrin, uh, and then sort of jaunt far right mm-hmm. in your mind, and that's Raqqa. Uh, Raqqa is kind of the Kurdish territory. So if if you're looking at a circle, okay, let's pretend that it's a circle. Uh, let's look at a clock, all right? So I'm trying to do this to, to give you an idea uh, in your mind of, of geography, okay? So wa- like noon to three... Mm-hmm. It's kind of Kurdish territory, right? Mm-hmm. There's not much in that in that mm-hmm. three to six portion. That's mostly Iraq, and then in the in the six to nine portion, that's a lot of Assad, and then from nine to noon, that's a lot of the rebel territory and Turkish territory. And then the rebels hold a lot in the center, uh, and so the the Turks are coming in from the north in that northern section. The Kurds, which are some of the most battle-hardened people you'll ever see in your life, they're total badasses. If you ever like see like on Vice, you see you watch the Kurds, you're like, holy crap, uh, they're terrifying, especially their women, uh, and the Syrian uh, the. the the Syrian, yes, we know what Aleppo is. Um, uh, so, trying to to look at uh, the the da, 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 da. what's the actual name? I, I feel like I should give you the the SDF. Um, Harry, I cannot find out what the SDF means. Oh, Syrian hmm. Democratic Forces. Okay, the U.S. Yeah, I was like, it's supposed to be SDF. I was like, yeah. STF. SDF. I'm sorry. That's, I was like, huh. <laughs> So the SDF is backed by the Americans and in the uh, YPG is backed by the Americans. And these are mostly made up of Kurdish. You know what a lot of the American troops have been doing in Syria 
is trying to change the makeup of the SDF from mostly Kurdish mm-hmm. to recruiting Arabs, Persians, and mm-hmm. local tribal groups into the SDF so it doesn't look so Kurdish. Literally like intersectional politics. Like there's a there's a reason for it. Because right, they're trying to diversify SDF. So your tax dollars and the the risking of our our troops' lives is a diversity project. Um and so the uh, let me let me go through this article because at I least thought, in where they are what they're doing in Syria that's what they're doing in Syria that's what they're doing in Syria right yeah um so there's a website called Stratfor which you may remember from uh, being labeled as the uh, newspaper of the globalists uh, I have a subscription to Stratfor I find it to be incredibly useful mm-hmm. in situations like this um, obviously I don't agree with a lot of their conclusions yeah but. There's not many places that get you, give you such in-depth information. I think you'll, you'll hear that in this. It's called The Good, the Bad, the Ugly of a U.S. Pullout from Syria. I'd link this, but I can't link it because it's behind a paywall. Um, so March 29th, the president said we'd be leaving very soon. Uh, and uh, about a week later, the Washington Post reported that Trump had instructed the DOD to draw up exit plans, although he didn't set a deadline. So... The likelihood of a pullout is uncertain because the Pentagon, the State Department, and other parts of the U.S. government are pushing the case that the U.S. needs to remain in Syria. And isn't it – so Trump wanted immediate, and they said, give us a few weeks. He said, okay, and then there's a gas attack. Not putting on my Alex Jones hat, but I am saying that's a little weird, okay? Weird. Uh, It may not be the U.S. government, but somebody wants the Americans to stay, and a gas attack was the way to do it. Um Furthermore, they say a withdrawal will create power vacuums, affect relations with enemies and allies, and weaken U.S. influence in the region. Now, the reason I I read this is, A, I want you to understand what the traditional foreign policy folks think. And also, I think that a lot of these are legitimate things that will happen. And so, as non-interventionists, we need to understand the costs of withdrawal. Okay, we believe in, in leaving areas like Syria. Syria, uh, Syria. Mm-hmm. but there are costs to it. Okay, there are costs to non-interventionism after seventy years of American might being the security force of the world. Okay, and you're going to have to bear the costs of being a non-interventionist when there's a gas attack or when Iran takes over Syria. We're going to have to say, yes, I understand that these are the risks. But this is about what I think is the best for America, mm-hmm. okay? If you're a nationalist, if you're a non-nationalist libertarian, then you go, hmm, maybe we should use military force to protect all the peoples of the world. Uh, that's not what they believe, but yeah. um, it is kind of a, a weird thing. So um, so the benefits of a U.S. withdrawal from Syria. A pullout would free up previously committed troops for other missions, Okay, now to strap for that is a bright side of pulling those two thousand troops out. Right, yeah. we can put them somewhere else. Special ops are current, consistently in high demand, and the aircraft supporting those forces could be used elsewhere. Uh, they could be used for surveillance and reconnaissance in Afghanistan, for instance. Uh, a pullout could help improve ties with Russia. Moscow has consistently and adamantly demanded that the U.S. leave Syria, uh, as. We consider our relationship with Moscow necessary ties. Uh, we need to improve our relationship, basically, if we want to improve 
relations with uh, North Korea, for instance, um, you know, and arms control. So, like, we don't want to be enemies with the Russians. No. The enemy, they they are the largest stock, they are the largest holder of nuclear waste and nuclear weapons and nuclear armaments, and we want them to destroy those. Right. Uh, we want, we don't want them to build those up. We want them to, they have a vote on the Security Council at the UN, mm-hmm. which still does hold some moral weight. Right. Uh, they are very. They are still a very influential country. Yeah, they hold sway over a lot of different countries that we have issues with. Yep. Um, but you have to, you know. But if, uh, sorry. Well, no, go ahead. I was going to say yeah, but like to try to get people to understand, like reason why is like you understand where um, Syria is and where they are because you know to a lot of Russian people they look like they're just being surrounded slowly by you know um, U.S. troops. Yep. Just like chess pieces, you know, just moving closely, like just like we're staying in Afghanistan. Wow, we're directly south, you know, yes. of your country. Now we're you know they're you know we're right by the oceans and we you know and it's yep yeah we're just slowly creeping up and it's like you know that looks like the world's worst chess moves like they're coming after us if it was a game of risk you would start attacking back the other benefit that is not in this article is the lessened chance of getting into a shooting war a direct furthering the shooting war i should say with iran and and, uh russia we don't want to have a hot war with these two countries uh, we don't want to have a situation where we are fighting Iranian-Russian forces and lead it, lead to a wider conflict. Uh, so it eliminates that risk, which I think is the number one reason why we ought to leave. Uh, the third and most important beneficiary of withdrawal could be the U.S. relationship with Turkey. U.S. support for the SDF, a uh, rebel group dominated by the Kurdish, the YPG, has been one of the greatest impediments to a good relationship between Washington and Ankara, and has led to vehement disagreements over time. A U.S. pullout would mean a reduction in support, leaving an opening for Turkey to push back harder against the SDF. Given Turkey's critical importance to the U.S. security strategy in the Middle East and Europe, improved relations would clearly be the most tangible benefit from withdrawal. Turkey is, you know, the land bridge between Europe, Greece, and uh, then into the Middle East. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're a large, large country. Can you look up the population number on Turkey, please? It's in the, I think it's 100 million at least. Very influential, highly populated country. It's been an ally for a long time, but has is slipping into authoritarianism. And, uh, you got it? 81 million? 81 million. All right. So it's a big country. And uh, they they hate the Kurds, like the Turks hate the Kurds as much as they hated the Armenians a hundred years ago. Uh, so they also hate the Iranians and the Russians. So the Turks are fighting the Iranians. The Turks also are fighting the Saudi Arabians, <laughs> who are creeping into the conflict as well because Israel and Saudi Arabia have a new partnership fighting Iran's growth in the region as a a political player. So you have Turkey versus Iran and Russia versus Saudi Arabia and Israel. Uh, That's a powder keg that we don't want to be involved in. uh, And we're not helping. We're not good at helping at all. The downsides of withdrawal, as outlined by Stratfor, the fight against the Islamic State and other violent extremist groups are why we are there in the first place, and without our presence they're fighting them, 
it could lead to a regrowth of ISIS, mm-hmm. Al Qaeda, uh, and the the various groups that make up the new face of Islamic terror, like Al Nusra, uh, and uh, the struggling militant organization isn't alone. Talking about the Islamic State, there's Tanzim Haras al Din, an Al Qaeda affiliate, Hayat Tahir al Sham, and the Turkish. Turkestan Islamic Party in Syria are also active. So we may five years from now go, remember the time we talked about Hayat Tahir al-Sham? We were the mm-hmm. first ones to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> so like we were with ISIS. Uh, so a complete U.S. withdrawal would greatly weaken Washington's ability to keep those groups in check and keep uh, eyes on them, essentially spying. A pullout would also... Uh, hurt another U.S. objective, limiting Iran's expansion in the region. Uh, the S- SDF occupies major energy producing and agricultural areas in Syria that Tehran and Damascus are keen to retake. The SDF presence also provides a springboard that the U.S. could use to threaten key Iranian positions in the country in case of further conflict. A sudden withdrawal that leaves Syrian democratic forces vulnerable to attacks directed by Damascus and Ankara and Tehran will damage U.S. credibility as an ally. The U.S. has repeatedly and publicly proclaimed that it will not abandon those forces. Uh, Finally, a number of regional allies are invested in a continued U.S. presence in Syria. Whether these allies are primarily interested in U.S. efforts to contain Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Israel, and the UAE, or are worried about the violent extremist threat, Jordan, they would be greatly alarmed at a sudden withdrawal. So if we left Syria... It would uh, worry our allies, and like what's not mentioned here is the Kurds, mm-hmm. uh, who rely on American support. So, yeah, but this, you know, it doesn't mean we can't be a trade. We can't sell them stuff that they need, and they can't. But do, do we, as libertarians, and I'd love to get your thoughts on all this. Three one seven six nine nine seven two three six. Please call in. We've only got about five minutes left in this topic. But Harry, do we want to be arms dealers? Who are already arms and dealers? What, what, what we sell things. Mm-hmm. We sell things. Which which what would bring more people more for freedom? Just sell them arms, right? You know. Here, uh, bye. So, uh, just a few more facts. This was a New York Times article: America's three bad options in Syria. This is what the New York Times is arguing. Uh, or someone in the New York Times. Um, for those who mil- want a military response, the question is simple. Can you tell me a practical? Now, this is a Cato Institute person in a New York Times article. All right, this is why I highlighted this. Crazy times. For those who want a military response, the question is simple. Can you tell me any practical response short of full-fledged invasion that could prevent this? Talking about the chemical attacks. And she's right, Emma Ashford says. Uh you know, the the idea that, oh, well, w- we need to punish them for these surgical strikes. Okay, that didn't work. <laughs> Option number one, according to the New York Times, could be termed the sort of limited punitive strikes Mr. Obama was pressured to execute and that Mr. Trump saw through last year. But first, they do not change Mr. Assad's calculus because to Mr. Assad, this war is a matter of personal and national survival. Second, Mr. Assad's Russian and Iranian allies can easily help him absorb the costs Mm -hmm. imposed by such strikes. Option number two might describe the policies that Mr. Obama favored, actions that make the war costlier for Mr. Assad. 
arming anti-government rebels, for instance. That's how Benghazi happened, so as to pressure the Syrian leader into complying. Uh, I say that because Benghazi was, you remember how we talked about the uh, embassies Mm -hmm. being intelligence depots? Benghazi was an illegal gun-running depot in Libya up to Syria that was put in place by Obama and Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. And that's why those people died, so nobody would find that out. But we found out anyways. Um, so as to pressure the serious go- Syrian government. The problem with making it more costly is that Russian and Iranian allies are able to escalate in turn, matching and exceeding any American bid. The Americans send guns and the Iranians send a combat brigade. Option number three would be attacks that go beyond what the Russians and Iranians can match, which is likely to mean either a full invasion or strikes that existentially threaten the Syrian government. The first risk is that collapsing the Syrian government, which would exacerbate Syrian suffering by throwing millions more lives into chaos and most likely prolonging the war. The second risk is a direct military confrontation with Russia. Uh, or Iran. Bottom line, Assad's actions are abhorrent, but there's no practical military option here. Unless you are willing to completely and effectively collapse the Syrian state and re-escalate the civil war. Um, This is a really interesting fact that was in this article. Uh, Research by some Cornell scientists found that Americans feel a moral obligation to help humanitarian victims... And to provide that help in the form of military action. Saving war refugees by bombing them. <laughs> I, I see that. It's it, just you, stunning. Yeah, well, yeah, it's just very stunning to, to see people that they're more apt to send bombs over there than to let them come here to get out of the free, you know, or... Right. I don't know, stop the you know the, the situation over there. It's like, nope, if we just stop that situation by bombing everything all to heck, oh, that'll stop the refugees. Yep. That'd be humanitarian. And this is such a great point it's as well. How we fix Flint, right? The cult of limited strikes is so powerful in Washington that even when they do occur, it's said they were never properly capitalized on. There's always some shimmering hope just over the next hill that bombing a runway will make all of Washington's dreams come true. It's been this way forever. You can argue that after the coal bombing, when they after the Nairobi bombings, I should say, that when Clinton in '98 bombed uh, training camps in Afghanistan, the bombings only basically had the Streisand effect mm-hmm. in that region for Osama bin Laden, and only it effectively recruited mm-hmm. for Al Qaeda in 1998, which led to the coal bombing, which led to more military intervention. Which led to 9-11, mm-hmm. because those provocations continually escalate. And so the mistake that Americans make is they don't think that they can escalate. They don't think that, well, those guys are wrong, and so we're going to fix their attitude by bombing the shit out of them. Right. That's not how that works. If Canada mm-hmm. invaded Indiana and took over the Indianapolis City County Council and placed a new mayor and in, in, in put a police state with... Canadian troops keeping the peace, quote-unquote, in Indianapolis and started bombing sections of Indianapolis and started killing citizens of Indianapolis. Or apply this to your hometown. Do you not think that you would not join a, a, a group that was fighting the Canadian menace? Well, if the, 
one, looking at our roads, they look like they have been bombed. <laughs> right. Uh, yes, our potholes are very bad here. <laughs> but I but I think but, we make the mistake of thinking that Iranians or Afghanis are not human beings like us. Right. That yeah. don't have the same connection to their homeland mm-hmm. and have the same revulsion to foreigners coming into their homeland and telling them what to do and killing their cousin. Right, yeah. And walking around with weapons of war on their streets. It's like right. you want to get one, you want to get the heck out of there. Two, you want these people out of here. Right. You know? No one wants them there. Yep. You know, for much no matter uh, you know, that's you know, it's the, it's the way it is. So what do we do about Syria? Okay. A lot of bad options. There's no good options because we shouldn't have been there in the first place. And I find libertarian commentary when you listen to libertarian podcasts or read libertarian authors the answer to foreign policy is we shouldn't have been there in the fo- first place, just pull out. Okay, well, that is an option, but that mm-hmm. isn't an explanation. Okay, that's the best option. Okay, but that's not the most effective piece of communication. And it really, I think, signals to people that you don't understand the conflict. And I think that's why people in government and in media don't take people like Gary Johnson seriously because they don't actually understand the conflict whatsoever. I believe the Aleppo thing was a mistake, but I don't think that Gary Johnson had a very clear view of what was actually happening in Syria. Because even Ron Paul, we all, oh, he's so good on foreign policy. You know, you put in an article in there, Harry, that I didn't even print out because it just wasn't even worth reading. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, This was in the USA Today. Ron Paul. This was uh, April 5th with a horrible picture of Trump. Um, Ron Paul. I know. Ron Paul says, tell me, I want you to listen to this with a critical ear. Imagine I had said this was Paul Ron. Okay. 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 It was a completely different person than the person that brought you to libertarianism. I want you to hear this and see if you think that this is an effective piece of communication about the issue that we just spent laying out. Is President this... Donald Trump likes a challenge, but not necessarily this one. Okay. Uh, sorry about that. I hate those auto rolls on. Uh... I was disappointed to hear President Trump so quickly reverse his position on removing U.S. troops from Syria. We're going to get back to our country where we belong, he told an Ohio audience. That sounded refreshingly like candidate Trump's promises of no more nation building. Then he flipped his position and announced we'd stay. I do think Trump understands that our interventionist foreign policy is a massive waste of money and lives. He said in February, as a couple of months ago, we have spent $7 trillion in the Middle East. What a mistake. How right he is. A big mistake. The problem is that the neoconservatives who dominate Washington foreign policy continue to push a whopper of a canard. They insist that extremist groups rise to fill a vacuum in the Middle East whenever U.S. troops leave. However, the truth is is these radical groups arise precisely because of our entering the region, not leaving it. There was no al-Qaeda in Iraq before the 2003 invasion. There was no Islamic State in Syria before Obama's covert support for regime change after the 2011 unrest. The massive pipeline of U.S. weapons to moderate moderate rebels in Syria ended up in the hands of the al-Qaeda-affiliated groups in ISIS. Does anyone think that harebrained scheme makes anyone safer? The facts are clear. ISIS is on the ropes. It controls no significant town or population center. It is holed up in the desert and is being eliminated by the Syrian government and its allies. It's not actually true. They're an insurgency. 
Uh, so they're, uh, anyways, without foreign support, ISIS will never regain significant positions in Syria. So why are we staying? The U.S. Central Command General Joseph Votel said we must stay in Syria to stabilize parts of the country occupied by U.S. forces and consolidate our gains. But what gives us the right to stabilize and consolidate foreign territory we have no legal right to occupy? To keep us safe, Trump needs to tell our troops, just come home. Okay, I don't disagree with anything Ron Paul says in that article, okay? Uh, But this is the same old argument that libertarians give every single time a situation like Syria comes up. Well, we shouldn't have been there in the first place. Here's the history of why we shouldn't have been there, 2003, 2003. And then goes right to ISIS is on the ropes. It controls nothing. They, they, uh, why are we staying there? Like, okay, Ron, how did ISIS get so weakened? You want to tackle that? The, the fact is, is because of military intervention in the, in the region is actually what helped the SDF and then the support from outside influences on Assad's point of view and American airstrikes and Russian airstrikes and, Everyone uniting around the common enemy of ISIS is what defeated ISIS. So American intervention solved the problem that you're saying isn't a problem anymore. Okay, so it's easy for someone like an informed person on foreign policy to pick holes in your argument. So, Yeah, but, you know, you could also say, like, well, the foreign policy created ISIS. Of course. And that's completely so the, true. Two you, things. Two yeah, things can be yeah, true. Right. Then you run into this chicken and the egg argument. Right. You know? Exactly. Right. Um, Neither well, does he say his only prescription is the very last line to keep us safe. Trump needs to tell our troops to just come home. Well, do we go for the uh, should the new libertarian and foreign policy should just be like we're just going to start flipping the third world? We're just going to move in, intervene by intervene. We're going to control the country for a hundred years until it becomes America too, Absolutely and then not. sell it back. I, honestly, I think that's a good way to get the debt down. We'll sell the countries back, flip them out, <laughs> flip them back to the people for a profit. Listen, it, uh, fix it or. Uh, yeah, flip it or fix flip, it. Yeah. It's not how foreign policy works, Harry. Why? Why can't we do it? Worked for uh, Hong Kong. <laughs> okay, my point on saying this. Okay, sorry, okay. Sorry. Let me. Get, let's, before we get too far off, and people misconstrue what I'm saying. Yeah, because they're not hearing me. I know it. I, I yeah. criticized Ron Paul. I'll be. I'm. I'm. I, you're, they're I had to put my own pitchfork down. Right. What I'm saying is that it doesn't seem. To a critical reader like myself, mm-hmm. who is reasonably informed that Ron Paul has a very good grasp of what is actually happening in Syria, or what are the consequences to withdrawal in Syria, and to say, just come home, we shouldn't have been there in the first place, is not a very compelling argument to voters. And so, in the future election cycles, we it's our hero, Ron Paul... His messaging worked in 2008 on us, but I don't think that, that that is going to work in a more complicated world, in a, in a post-American world. I think you need to have a more complex argument. Okay, Now, the argument is not more interventionism. I'm saying you need to do a better job, Ron Paul and libertarians, of arguing non-interventionism. Someone like Scott Horton... I think does a brilliant job of arguing libertarian non-interventionism and by giving out information. I think he is he's writing books, he's doing podcasts, he's mm-hmm. writing articles. So I think like 
I, I want people to break out of the cliches that we find acceptable to other libertarians but don't actually create new libertarians, okay? Because the, the choice before us is withdraw, which I am in favor of, okay? I see no reason for American troops to be there. There is no American interest, and in fact the risk is so amazingly high of triggering an, a World War III in the way that World War I was triggered that staying there is a greater risk than a destabilized region. The region is already destabilized. It right. can't get much worse. Secondly, if you really examine all of the facts that we laid out, America isn't making as much of a difference, and we aren't going to leave a vacuum as much as you think. Okay, mm -hmm. And so many times when you go into an Afghanistan or Yemen or a South Korea or a Germany, and you look at the facts of what American troops are actually doing in these regions, the argument that interventionists make of we'll create a vacuum is false. And it's not challenged because our side does a very poor job of exposing why that is false. Hmm. When I say to you, Harry, there's 2,000 American troops, and the majority of what they do is setting up tribal councils and new governments in Syria. Does that sound like America will leave a vacuum if we leave? No. Or is that a job that the UN could do? Yeah, this is a job the UN did, or the do, European Union. Or yeah, or some other type of coalition or just um allowing them to do it themselves or right. get the government that they want that they want to build. Right. And that they are comfortable living with. Just because you bring something in there doesn't mean they even want to use it or continue using it after 10 years. 317-699-7236. If you think I'm an idiot, please call in right now. Right now. Or yeah. write me at editor at wilibertarians.com. I don't I, think I am. I think that I, traditional libertarian messaging on this doesn't work. I think you're right when you say that because that's like saying when you get a libertarian on there, they'll talk about, well, we just need to get rid of uh, public schools. Right. You know, it's that same type of messaging to foreign policy. I see what you're saying. Yeah. They like sat there and like really digested what you were saying. It's like you just can't take it out overnight. Something's got to be whittled down or just to explain what the heck is doing. It's like you can't just get up and go, the Department of Education needs to be eradicated. Even, okay, because that's like that freaks some people out. Right. It's like explain why. The drawdown of American troops had a, a, a an effect. There mm -hmm. is a, for every action that America makes – in the withdrawal of our troops from overseas, there's going to be a reaction. Mm -hmm. And we have to be cognizant of that reaction and say, I'm comfortable with this mm -hmm. because leaving Syria has consequences. And I think there's some cognitive dissonance that takes place in the libertarian mind when we go, you know, just bring them home. It'll be fine. That's not compelling for people. We're, you know, and, and, Jay Lee Miller is right. A lot of libertarian messaging needs to change, and a lot of it is because libertarians need to be more informed and more engaged. We're relying on cliches to become popular with each other as opposed to becoming smart. And it's a lot of work to read and study You know, at the level that I'm at. Mm -hmm. It's my main hobby. It's what I love to do. But you don't have to do that. You can go to like five websites a day mm -hmm. and get – better informed uh you know and, and and read some books as opposed to playing on your phone put down the fart night fart night fortnight fortnight
I know that's plebe gaming to you, but uh, most people out there play Fortnite. What the heck is... Uh, don't pretend like you don't know what Fortnite is. It's the hottest video game going. Well, uh, like Paladins, so I don't know. But you're right. Like, education's a great example. Mm-hmm. Like, we just need to end public schools. Yeah. How? I'm sorry, I can't explain that. I have a go. Okay. <laughs> go to my website. www.endschools.com. It's like, that's like the Arvin Vora argument. Like, endschools.gov.ninja. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Book suggestions. Uh, I would definitely start with A Foreign Policy of Freedom by Ron Paul uh, as, a, as a nice foundational piece. Scott Horton's Fool's Aaron. Scott Horton, Scott Horton in foreign policy is the place to go if you're a libertarian. Yep. Start there. Okay. Yep. I am not afraid of uh, the Council on Foreign Relations. I'm not afraid of these big, like the Brookings Institution or RAND or, or some of these major think tanks that have such a bad name. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand what I'm getting. I'm getting a very pro-government, pro-intervention point of view. Mm-hmm. I'm getting alternative. I'm getting facts like Stratfor. Yeah. I'm reading that Stratfor article to you. I don't agree with, or the New York Times article at the end there. I don't agree with their conclusions, mm-hmm. but I've heard their argument. I've seen the facts they're basing that on, and then I can form my own conclusion. Right. Okay. So what what I think we do is we try to. I'm the, the Council on Foreign Relations. Oh my goodness. Like, there's nobody better at at explaining to you what is going on in the world than Brookings, the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, AEI, the Heritage Foundation, the Center for American Progress. You just got to kind of listen to all their podcasts, or you've got to you got to like take it all with a very big grain of salt. Mm-hmm. The Cato Institute does a great job of applying libertarian principles in very in depth discussions in their events podcast. Uh, and their publications. So there's a lot of information out there. And, like, once you just start with one place, it gets, like, Democracy Now! is a great place to kind of start because they're very non-interventionist and they cover a lot of world affairs. So, uh, Harry, final thoughts on Syria? It's... I want... I really feel like in like two weeks to a month, we'll find out what exactly has happened this last week in Syria. Whether this gas attack, like, um, was it an actual gas attack or was it something else? Um, I know that a lot of video made it look like it was a gas attack. You ever? The other one got broken down too. We'll you, find that out. You ever um, accidentally bleach yourself in the bathroom? Yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, the, the, there's some. Or something, you know. It, it we'll find that out. We'll find out what type of gas it is, if it, when it, or if it was something else. Um, we'll also find out, hopefully, tomorrow, um, who actually bombed the other um, um, the other site on Monday. We'll find out who bombed that. Finally, um, there's a lot of Russia things as Israel, so we'll find out who that's all done with. Um, so it's this is a very weird week, and I feel like we really don't know the true everything that happened and all the consequences from it for another two weeks which sucks which is a huge reason i always advocate in like the the aftermath of a parkland shooting or like take a day or two before Mm -hmm. you open your mouth on social media 
Yeah. Like because the facts two days after Parkland were way different than the day of. Oh yeah. Same with Vegas. Same with every one of these tragedies. Yeah. Like if you can just, just, I what what I am trying to do and what I think you, dear listener, should do is try to slow things down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like we we are so quick to like now 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 I got to have an opinion now like yep. slow it down. Yep. Just like if you whatever your opinion is on the Parkland shooting, go ahead. I want you guys to do this. It's a good experiment. Think of what you have in your head and on the weapon that this person used. Now go search for uh, after the podcast, of course, ser- or open another tab. Search for that information and what it is stated now after the fact. A couple of months later, when they've got everything, when the dust has yep. settled and all the facts are like, find out the weapon that the person actually used and the magazine that person used, and it will blow your mind. Yep, you know, and and it is a tough thing to see if you were aware. <laughs> Like and to be aware, literally, all you have to do is just watch Vice videos because they do immersive uh, journalism, where they are like the only major media outlet that like actually goes and immerses themselves in these situations. Uh, you you are not surprised by the images of these gassings. Mm-hmm. Like if you are reading some foreign policy sources, you're seeing images like that pretty regularly. You know, yeah. you're not you're not as shocked. When you when you give yourself a steady news diet, because it's like the guy said, the the uh, Cato guy. Like in terms of everything else that is happening in the Syrian conflict, dying by gas isn't much better than dying in a crumbling house that has just been bombed by a daisy chained bomb, mm-hmm. like by a Russian bomb. Like yeah, or uh, yeah, a double tap drone or right. Yeah. Be, step back from it and really think about it and go. Okay, I know I'm being told by the news that this is very bad, very bad, very bad. Why? Is it is it worse than being shot? Why is it worse? Yes, it is abhorrent that they use chemical weapons, but it's equally as abhorrent that bullets or bombs are used. Like it doesn't make it any better or worse. The the ethical dilemma, the ethical outrage of Assad killing his own people mm-hmm. doesn't change because of the weapon used. You know, and and the argument is that chemical weapons killed indiscreetly, that men, women, and children die the same death. Well, it's the same when you bomb a house and an apartment building. It's the same when you use. Oh, Obama made that argument about, mm-hmm. and I just want to say, Nagasaki. Um, <laughs> You're the we're we're not that much morally. Uh, he's like. Chemical weapons after World War II, uh, after they were used in the Holocaust, everybody agreed we shouldn't do that anymore. It's like, well, you still built no more nuclear bombs. Did a lot of hydrogen testing. A right. Lot of, um, the other thing is, yeah, the uh, collateral murder um, video that WikiLeaks put out there, uh, that Tracy yeah. Manning put out there. That you know, when you watch that, it's like kills women and children indiscriminately. So did that machine gun. Yep. Went right through that van. Yeah. So, uh, I think we have to step away from our tribalism. You know, I'm a former Republican. I gravitate towards conservative news outlets. I gravitate towards conservative opinion, uh, you know, uh, on, on most stuff. But and so I have to really step back and say, is my bias towards this side making me think a certain way? Hmm. You know, so I have to be cognizant of my biases, too, when I'm reading the news, uh, because I don't want to just go along with the team to get to be well liked so nobody likes me anyways it's okay 
Yeah. You have friends here. Thank you. Thank you, Mittens. All right. Let's move on. We're going to blaze through some of this news. There's a lot going on. It's turning into a Thursday show right now. I know. Harry, I want you to speak up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move, okay? Okay. Got a lot to cover. Okay. So I want you to speak up and stop me when you want to weigh in on stuff. Okay? All right. Okay. All right. All right. So the Washington Post, uh, Tuesday night of last week. What's today? Tuesday? Yeah. So a week ago. Mm-hmm. Basically said that Trump is a subject of the Mueller investigation, not a target. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a very different piece of language. Okay, he Mueller legally cannot say he's he's a subject when he's really a target. He can't lie about that. Okay, so if the well, he can't legally, he's not allowed to. I, like, I, okay, but 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 subjects can become targets based on what they find. Now that is the thing, okay? He, so, so Bill Clinton was one of the most brilliant lawyers of his time and one of the most skilled lawyers and politicians of his time, and he was not the target of the Whitewater investigation, but he became the target of a perjury investigation because of of his testimony. Mm-hmm. You remember the, uh, well, it depends on what your definition of is is, that was not Bill Clinton being flippant. That was Bill Clinton getting out of a perjury trap. Yeah. So, you know, what What do you think of blah, blah, blah? And mm-hmm. Ken Starr basically had set up a question that if he answered, if he'd gone one way, he would have been lying. Had he gone the other, he was admitting to a crime. Mm-hmm. And so Bill Clinton, Kobayashi marooned it and said, it depends on what your definition of is is. <laughs> now, this is why Donald Trump should never talk to Robert Mueller. Yeah. Because... The one of the most talented lawyers and politicians of his generation got mm-hmm. caught by a, a prosecutor and got impeached. Or yeah, got impeached. Donald Trump will get <laughs> impeached so quick. FBI agents are screwy to talk to, anyways. One, right. they do not record their conversations. Right. So when you talk to an FBI agent, they don't record anything. So the simple fact that they're like, well, you know, the, you know, so everything is based off an FBI agent's word, and the judge will believe them. So you're effed anyways if you ever talk to an FBI agent, unless what's, you have your lawyer present. What's rule number one of We Are Libertarians? Don't talk to, don't talk don't to, talk the, cop. to the cops. Don't talk to the cops. Yeah. What's rule number two of We Are Libertarians? Um, let's see. Never violate rule number one. Never. Re- I was going to. Okay, I thought um, don't pet mittens, but that's rule number three. No, mittens loves to be petted. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, because even lawyers will say like you know they won't talk to cops. Most lawyers will say like when a cop wants to investigate or talk to them, I will go get they'll go get another lawyer to talk to that lawyer and have it digested in between that before they talk to a cop, so, talk to a police officer. So like Brett Bittner is always like, oh, never talk to the cops and uh, blah blah blah. Have a conf-. like libertarians love to like you should have a confrontation. Don't ever talk. You know what? I am so nice to cops, and I get a, I got out of a ticket once. I was going, it was a 45, I was going 92. I got a warning, Harry. I know my white privilege is really pissing you off right now. (laughs) And it's it's because he pulled me over, he walked up, I rolled down my window and I said, Hi, officer. He said, do you know why I pulled you over? And I I just shook my head, I didn't say a word. And then he said, can I see your license? I was like, hey, here you go. Are you having a good day? I have a nice conversation with them, but I never, you know, uh, am I being detained? 
Mm. You're an mm-hmm. idiot if you say that. The only time I got a warning for something like that is I left a Rupert event, and lucky the guy was a one. The cop was a Rupert fan. Right. Wished he would have went to that Survivor event to see Rupert. <laughs> he didn't even know about it. He was like, what? The, he's watching Survivor? I'm like, yeah. You can go up to say, oh, I'm, sure I'm going to have to go to that. I'm yeah. Like, I got a warning. Yep. Yeah. 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 But, well, that that particular uh, ticket, I was on my way to a, a wall pool party, and Brett Bittner's like, you should have blah, 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 blah. I'm like... Uh, how do you think I got a warning, dum dum? The other thing is polite. Yeah, the other thing is um, you can do that, but you have to understand is if the police officer is is willing to recognize your humanity, you should also recognize That's theirs. Exactly right. And the best way to initiate recognition of my humanity <laughs> is to treat them like a human being. Yep. Now you can stare at them and say nothing, or do you know why I pulled you over? Mm-hmm. Would you like to see my license and registration? Never say anything one way or the other, but you don't have to just scream, am I being detained? Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, I do love asking, answering their question with other questions, and when they finally go like, I I don't answer questions. (laughs) I don't answer questions. I'm sorry, no autographs, sir. Uh, I think I don't answer questions. So this was was a week ago, okay, when he was not being targeted. So Aaron Blake in the Washington Post... um, talked about Mueller may not even view charging the president with crimes as a potential outcome of his investigation. has to do with an opinion written by the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel in 1973, Nixon, Mm -hmm. and was affirmed in 2000, Clinton. Here's what the Office of Legal Counsel said in 2000 from then Assistant Attorney General Randolph Moss. In 1973, the Department of Justice concluded that there that the indictment and criminal prosecution of a sitting president would unduly interfere with the ability of the executive branch to perform its constitutionally assigned duties and would thus violate the constitutional separations of power. No court has addressed this question directly, but judicial precedents that bear on the continuing validity of our constitutional analysis are consistent with both the analytic approach taken and the conclusions reached. Our view remains that a sitting president is constitutionally immune from indictment and criminal prosecution. The second sentence is key. Blake addresses. No court has addressed this question directly. Uh, So what if Mueller is saying Trump isn't a criminal target of the probe because Mueller doesn't think Trump can be a criminal target of the probe? So some people are reading it differently than Aaron Blake over at the Washington Post. Now, that was followed right on the heels by a revelation that Mueller is looking into an, a, a payment for speaking by a Russian, uh, by a Ukrainian. Investigators subpoenaed the Trump Organization this year for an array of records about business with foreign nationals. In response, the company handed over documents about a 150,000 donation that a Ukrainian billionaire, Viktor Pachunik, made in September 15th to Donald J. Trump's foundation in exchange for a 20-minute appearance by Trump that month through a video link in a conference in Kiev. The payment from Mr. Pachunik, says Marcus Owens, the former head of the IRS division that oversees tax-exempt organizations, uh, is curious because it comes during a campaign and is from a foreigner and looks like an effort to buy influence. He called the donation an unusual amount of money for such a short speech. Now, this was back in... The speech was September 2015. 
Donald Trump was barely a candidate mm-hmm. <laughs> way back in September 2015. But Harry, the reason I wanted to read the story is that the New York Times is upset that Donald Trump gave a speech and was paid a lot of money for it. Ooh. And that might mean undue influence. Well, where have I heard this storyline before? Well, all I know is um, I'm sure they wouldn't sully their hand by doing something like that. Uh, but possibly during the 2016 election, certain candidates um, that people are with, with her, um, may have or may not have done speeches for different companies and had speeches and possibly had money. So, Russian, yeah, yeah, Hillary Clinton, I'm saying. Russian yeah. energy companies. Yeah, which uh, we no one at Wheeler Terrace have no information about that would lead to Hillary Clinton's arrest. We don't have that we information. We have not done an episode on Clinton Cash, nor have we read Peter Switzer's excellent book that you all should read. Yeah. Uh, there's listen if you don't like to which, read there's a graphic novel version yeah. of it which is brilliant which just a bs about this all this clinton cash stuff all this messed up stuff that's going on in haiti and all this been guys and they've got nothing and i keep hearing about russia every she day. lied to the fbi which is a crime huma abedin committed the exact same crime that michael flynn did mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one of them got charged and one didn't right okay it's 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 just getting to the point of absurdity where I'm not a conservative mm-hmm. but I'm starting but like I'm starting to feel bad for them okay because there's two sets of rules in in government and media mm-hmm. for liberals and conservatives you can lie to the FBI if you're Hillary Clinton and get away with it you can mm-hmm. lie to the FBI if you're a democrat and get away with it if you're John Edwards and you pay a million dollars of hush money to your baby mama mm-hmm. Your your campaign aide will get a slap on the wrist. If you're Donald Trump, that pays a tenth of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, then your lawyer gets raided. Mm-hmm. If you're a conservative blog, you're going to get shut down by these major social social media sites. If you're a liberal site, you're going to get a two percent bump. Like it, it, if you're if you you're dime the- if you're diamond and silk, mm-hmm. you get shut down. If you're Barack Obama. And you collect people's Facebook information, you're a genius. If you're Robert Mercer in Cambridge Analytica that does it for Trump, you're the devil. Like, how can how can people not see this? How can you not see the double standard? And it's no wonder that conservatives are all nuts. Yeah. Because it's driving me crazy for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not on their team and it drives me crazy. Like, the whole idea that the... Um the IRS was going after the conservative groups and Tea Party groups right. to shut those, to shoot these things down. But like you know, it's kind of hard to get any information about these like the, all these marchers that are having all this money is like, come on, you, you, where did this all come from? Don't you think for a second that we're not next? Yeah. If we had any political power, it mm-hmm. the the hell that is being created by the left in this country, like the only good the only good argument for a war. Is that maybe we would stop eating our, ourselves uh, because the left in this country is just insane. They have not learned their lesson. As you said earlier, they're begging for four more years of Trump. Yeah, they're begging for it. They're basically like they're making sure this primary, like um, even like um, uh, Tony Katz. Tony Katz is a local WRC host, and he was like, he was sitting there going after watching all these gun marches and stuff like this, and he gives like, you want to watch, he's like, most libertarians have nothing to do this midterm. You want to watch them vote libertarian? You want to vote? watch these libertarians vote Republican? Keep attacking guns. 
Yep. Please, please, Ted Guns. Yeah. It, it, and it I'm is, like, oh, he's got a point. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, because they have a better chance of stopping it than we do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the uh, that's the ridiculous thing about it is that because they see it and they see that double standard and they're watching that um, that they're just coming and they just right. keep coming and they keep coming ridiculous and keep pushing right and the other thing is right most libertarians now instead of picking them really up for the right we're a lot of libertarians we're picking up people from that the left is left behind yeah because they have gone so far to the they've gone so far that we're here, the, the, like here, just like a republic we got a lot of libertarians were made from the republican party leaving a lot of those guys behind the libertarians are gonna pick up those people too this is how crazy the the echo chamber on the left has gotten between twitter and facebook and the blogosphere like you look at we talked about kevin williamson last episode where kevin williamson is a conservative writer he's by all accounts a great writer he holds very strong opinions he was on a podcast and he sort of flippantly said that women who have abortion should be hanged okay now the reason he said it is that he was saying this is the logical conclusion that you must take mm -hmm. if you are if you think people should be put to death for abortion you know you think women should be hanged okay mm -hmm. uh Kevin Williamson doesn't believe in the death penalty. Okay? So he literally does not believe that women who have abortion should be hanged. Yeah. But he definitely is not pro-choice. Okay? He's pro-life. Mm -hmm. And staunchly so. And so he is a person who is hired by the Atlantic to have strong opinions mm -hmm. because the editor of the Atlantic wants to have a broad spectrum of American opinion in his magazine. Mm-hmm. Williamson isn't fired for something that is published in the magazine. He's published for a thought crime. He's fired by the Atlantic within a week for a thought crime because the Atlantic said, you know, we, we said we were for diversity, but now we're not for diversity. If, uh, if the editor of the Atlantic is now Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Public outrage is now the Atlantic's editor. Instead of saying... Why don't you write a piece uh, explaining what you were saying mm -hmm. and then let the liberal folks in our magazine argue, we'll do a whole abortion issue. Mm -hmm. That's what I would have done. Yeah. I would have said, let's use this controversy to sell an issue mm -hmm. instead of basically penalizing you for having, for having a thought crime. And well, so, so the left has given up on free speech. The left, when I was in college and I was a little baby neocon, the left was so for free speech, saying it's anti-American to shut people's speech down. You know, Code Pink has a right to speak. Michael Moore has a right to speak. How dare you silence us? They're now at the point that when Bernie Sanders, on the 50th anniversary of the death of Martin Luther King, comes out and says Barack Obama didn't do a lot for down-ballot candidates and we lost 2,000 down-ballot races because Barack Obama didn't pay enough attention to the Democrats. Bernie Sanders had to apologize because he was being racist. But the thing is, that was the truth. Ber he said the truth. Yeah. He was racist. Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders was racist. I know, right? Because he criticized Barack Obama, a half-black president, on MLK Day. The absurdity of that yeah. is maddening. This is the hell that these people are creating for our society, and I don't want any part of it. Right. Yeah, and it's been yeah, it's been happening almost since like what is it oh nine 
yeah. nine or ten. Like like the biggest rumbling of the, the really saw you really saw everything happen was the Gamergate thing. Right. When that was really rubbishing when you real when you realize that these different people didn't want free speech and they had positions of power where they could control speech. Yep. In the media. And they realized it. It it used to be uh way back two years ago contained on college campuses. Mm-hmm. It isn't that way anymore. Look at Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins oh, that was, oh, that was nuts. Tony Robbins essentially in his conference that he does uh, the the documentary I am not your guru is kind of funny and interesting in a in a bunch of weird ways um but it's it's about Tony uh, the Tony Robbins conference uh Tony Robbins basically said something about me too this woman stands up and she says I think you're misrepresenting me too and he immediately goes to clarify he says listen he, the essentially what Tony Robbins says in this clip is women should speak up Women should fight injustice, but you should be careful with how you use technology because if you are using technology to punish people and put and bring about pain on others, you're bringing about a lot of pain on yourself. If you're using the Me Too movement to to get significance for yourself by being a victim, that isn't healthy and you should not do that, Okay. And then he said something that we've said on this program, which is, I talked to a lot of powerful guys. Women aren't getting jobs because men are afraid because of digital lynchings. Mm-hmm. Tony Robbins, his career's over. He hates me too. He's a misogynist. Like you go and watch it, and like I watched it, and I just said, I had to message a few female friends, and was like, what am I missing? Because like the women in this video clip are outraged, but like what I hear him saying is true. He's saying what any psychologist would tell you if you were in their therapy session. Yeah. Like, what happened to you is wrong. You should speak the truth. You should go after justice. But you can't use this as the thing that makes you a significant human being. You're not mm-hmm. a victim. Mo- rise above it. Right. Like, what's wrong with that? Well, he's committed a thought crime, and mm-hmm. he must be destroyed. Mm-hmm. He came out and apologized and blah, blah, blah. It's like, victim. you know what? Don't apologize. Because the more we apologize and we give in to these people, it's like Donald Trump, that's where Donald Trump has a point. He says, fuck you. I'm not apologizing. Yeah. I, I said what I said. I don't care. I get over it. And like that, like it, it, the grabber by the pussy thing, mm-hmm. do I think he's a sexual predator? Probably. Do I think he's a gross human being? Absolutely. Do I think people let him do it because he's got a, a billion dollars in his pocket and they could probably, if he let him grab it, he'd probably get money from it? Stephanie Clifford admitted that. Yeah. The reason yeah. that Stormy Daniels did it is she was trying to get a spot on a TV show. Right. She flat out, yeah. in a roundabout way, admitted in that 60 Minutes piece that she fucked him to get the story, mm-hmm. to have blackmail over him, mm-hmm. to leverage it into a TV appearance. Like, that's why she had sex with him, is so she could use it as leverage. Right. So, to be perfectly honest, Donald Trump's the victim. <laughs> He's the victim. Uh, uh, she said herself she's not a victim. Yeah, he's neither a victim. of them are victims. He is a victim. No, Donald Trump is he's a victim. Donald okay? Trump is smart he enough. Needs to be, he needs to be too. Hashtag okay, that. You're being ridiculous now. All right. Uh, so, as I said earlier, you never talk to the cops. But what happens when the cops raid your lawyer's office? Okay. It's a bad thing. The cops, the FBI, don't raid lawyer's offices. In New York. 
when yeah. they have some of the 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 biggest like the like when traveling through New York, right? If you have your gun in your car, and you let's say you forgot it, the best thing you could do with that, right, is to get a, a just you know because you forgot you but you remember to have your label maker in it. You put you know like the doc, documents, legal documents on a on a on a on a briefcase, and you put your gun in that briefcase. Cops can't search that thing because of the different protections in New York that, that lawyers have. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's why. That's why you're. That's why you're my co-host. I have accidentally brought my gun to New York several times. Accidentally. Accidents. 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 All right. So the FBI raided the office, home, and hotel room uh, because he's having his house remodeled. Mr. Trump's attorney of Michael Cohn. Now, this is an opinion piece by the guy who writes Pope Hat. I forget his name. I think it's Michael White. Pope Hat is a very uh, good site. Uh, Lawfare and Pope Hat are two sites that uh, do a lot of good legal analysis. The, why the FBI raid is perilous for Michael Cohn and Trump. Um, he writes, The U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan, acting on a referral from Mr. Mueller, sought and obtained a search warrant for Mr. Cohen's law office, seeking evidence related, at least in part, to his payment of $130,000 in hush money to Stormy Daniels. There are reports that the warrant sought evidence of bank fraud and campaign finance violations, which is consistent with an investigation into allegations that the Daniels payment was illegally sourced or disguised. For example, routing a payment through a shell company to hide the fact that the money came from the Trump campaign, if that is what happened, would probably violate funny federal money laundering laws. So what does it tell us? First, it reflects that numerous officials, not just Mr. Mueller, concluded that there was probable cause to believe that Mr. Cohen's law office home and hotel room contained evidence of a federal crime. A search warrant for a lawyer's office implicates the attorney-client privilege and core constitutional rights, so the DOJ requires unusual levels of approval to seek one. Prosecutors must seek the approval of the United States Attorney of the District, in this case Jeffrey Berman, the interim U.S. District Attorney appointed by Trump. Weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, Justice Department in Washington was also consulted. Finally, prosecutors must convince a United States magistrate judge uh, that... There's probable cause to support the search. So this wasn't Mueller going rogue. This was not an attorney going rogue. This was a lot of federal officials to to go into a lawyer's office mm-hmm. and serve a search warrant. There's a lot of federal officials that are involved. Mm-hmm. Second, the search demonstrates that federal prosecutors and supervisors in the Justice Department concluded that Mr. Cohen could not be trusted to preserve and turn over the documents voluntarily. What, from experience from them going after Hillary Clinton? Right. (laughs) Third, the search suggests that prosecutors most likely believe that Mr. Cohen's clients used his legal services for the purpose of engaging in a crime or fraud. Uh, Justice Department regulations require federal prosecutors to set up a system to sort all of the uh, information, a so-called dirty team, that separate out attorney-client privileged communications so that investigators and prosecutors won't see anything protected by the privilege. So in this case, they can only search for things related to Stormy Daniels. They can't search, you know, they can't, you know, like say, oh, well, this looks like a crime. They have to stay within the bounds of that search warrant. Oh, yeah, sure. But if a client's using a lawyer's services for the purposes of engaging in a crime or fraud, there is no privilege. 
Uh, it's called the crime fraud exception. Mr. Mueller persuaded a judge to apply the exception to compel testimony from Paul Manafort's lawyer, arguing successfully that he engaged her services in order to commit fraud. So Mueller's already done it in one case. Uh, the law is clear. If investigators executing a lawful warrant sees evidence of additional crimes, they may use that evidence. Thus, Mr. Trump and Mr. Cohn, with their catastrophically clumsy handling of this Stephanie Daniels affair, Stormy Daniels affair, may have handed Mr. Mueller devastating evidence. It's easy to conclude that after so many bombshells, this is just another over-frantic news cycle. It isn't. It is highly dangerous, and not just for Cohn. It is perilous for Trump, whose personal lawyer now may face a choice between going down fighting alone or saving his own skin by giving the wolves what they want. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it, yeah, I'm tired of this witch hunt. Because of the simple fact that most libertarians understand that there's nowhere place that you actually go to actually to understand like where all the laws at and if he's a lawyer then he should understand and be able to dodge all these legal loopholes but the thing is when it comes down to federal law law in general they could just make it up as they go and there's yep. probably a law in the book that you've never heard of and they'll just find it i did a ride along with uh, a police officer in high school because i thought about being a police officer and i said so if you wanted to arrest me could you arrest me he goes yeah i can make up anything there's a law that fits your behavior that i can arrest you for mm-hmm. like and it and it's the same with federal. I mean, worse. it's the same for this. It's worse. You know? Um, you know? Go ahead. They'll probably find something like, oh, didn't pay taxes on that either. And then they'll do something in unreported income. They'll, they'll find something. Radley Balco has a great piece today. Surprise, NSA data will soon be routinely used for domestic policing that has nothing to do with terrorism. <sighs> we, we, haven't we been saying this since the Patriot Act days and when the yep. DEA agent, when they were using this for drugs, they were using the for all kinds of different things and the same reason why we can't figure out how they found the Silk Road servers? A while back, Radley writes, we noted a, support, a report showing that the sneak and peek provision of the Patriot Act that was alleged to be only used in national security and terrorism investigations has overwhelmingly been used in narcotics cases. Now, the New York Times reports that the NSA data will be shared with other intelligence agencies like the FBI without first applying any screens for privacy. The ACLU of Massachusetts blog Privacy SOS explains why this is important. What does this new rule change mean for you? In short, domestic law enforcement officials now have access to huge troves of American communications obtained without warrants that they can use to put people in cages. FBI agents don't have don't need to have any national security related reason to plug your name, email address, phone number or other selector into the NSA's gargantuan data trove. They simply can poke around in your private information in the course of totally routine investigations. And if they find something that suggests say involvement in illegal drug activity, they can send that information to local or state police. That means information the NSA collects for purposes of national security will be used by police to lock up ordinary Americans for routine crimes. And we don't have to guess who's going to suffer this unconstitutional indignity the most brutally. It'll be black, brown, poor, immigrant, Muslim, and dissident Americans. The same people who are always targeted by law enforcement for extra special attention. Hopefully the courts, when that happens, it's not if, when that happens, the courts shut that down and and we start Honoring the Fourth Amendment again. I, I, um, 
Sure. Nah, I doubt that happened. Sounds good, though. It sounds nice. That sounds nice, though. <laughs> Thank you, Harry. <laughs> Always appreciate your support. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg gave testimony to the U.S. Senate today, talking to a bunch of dumb old uh, fucks. Oh, that was so bad. So so much boomers. He's 33 years old, and he runs Facebook, which has 2 billion people. He's much more important than any of these people. Um, so here's here's some of the stuff that... Uh, President so, Suck. Uh, Senator Richard Durbin of Illinois zeroed in on the issue at the heart of Facebook's troubles, asking whether Zuckerberg would be comfortable sharing the name of the hotel he stayed in last night, or would he be comfortable sharing the names of the people he had messaged this week. No, I would probably not choose to do that publicly here, Mr. Zuckerberg says. I mean, that is what this is all about, your right to privacy, the limits of your right to privacy, and how much you give away in the modern American in the name of, quote, connecting people around the world. Harry, why is that the most idiotic grandstanding bullcrap you've heard today? It is and it isn't. It is and it isn't. Please explain why you're wrong. One, no, no, it is and it isn't. Now, if it came from an IT guy, like someone who's like in the tech space... That was a very good que- that was a very good question to ask, right? And to go after. But since it came from that little boom that old boomer, uh kind of a little, a little sloppy. One it was kind of neat because like um because you you know, you cuz in a way some people look at it as like, well, you choose to share that and they kept sharing with other people. But the other thing is when it comes to the tech space is that Facebook makes connections. That's what they want to do. So if you have the Facebook app on your phone and you stay somewhere and you on the same network and above a bunch of people, they like to give you friend suggestions and stuff like that. Or sell where your location data to other advertisers. So even though that you may not want to say like, Hey, I'm at this hotel and I was there at this time, well it's too bad too bad, too sad, you have the Facebook um, app on your phone and it did it for you anyways. Right. So like I said, when a tech See, if he had more, that guy had more of a tech background, I could respect, I could see that underhanded comment of what he said. That, to me, that spoke volumes. But. It's Dick Durbin. Yeah, so. Who's been a public leech his entire life. I know, so it, it went. To me, I read it into that. But I, just because of all the knowledge, because, of like, okay, that leeching of what the app did. And they're talking about. Um, but also back then, when they were talking about all the leeching, like the Facebook app did. Every a lot of apps did that back in the Android, back in the 4.0 Android days. A lot of apps picks up a lot of different information around itself, and Android gives that to everyone. While Apple, the Apple phones do the same thing, but Apple keeps it. Yeah, Apple uses it for Apple. So I got a notification, and a lot of people did uh, today, the day that he was speaking to Congress. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, this digital life. This is your digital life. Uh, was the app that Cambridge Analytica developed. And uh, based on their investigation, I didn't log into this app uh, before they removed it from the platform in 2015. However, a friend of mine did. I have 4,996 Facebook friends. Sweet. Okay. I When I hit 5,000, you mm-hmm. know how I free up space? I delete boomers. Well, I go to the birthday. Mm-hmm. I see whose birthday it is. I look for the oldest person and I delete them. Hmm. <laughs> That's not a joke either. Uh, if I don't know you and I don't like you, if I know if I know you, I keep you. If I know you and I don't like you, you're gone. If you're not on, but the boomers usually like abandon their account. So, yeah. uh, so a friend of mine did, and so here's the information that Cambridge Analytica got from me. Uh oh. My public profile. 
which is very limited. Okay, I I mark every post as public, mm-hmm. and then about once a month, once every two months, I go in and I use that little feature that hides everything, mm. and I hide all my past posts. So none of my photos, except my cover photos and profile photos. None of my past posts, none of that information is public anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, my page likes, mm-hmm. my birthday, and my current city, my current city and my birthday mm-hmm. are public on my page. At least were at one point. Okay, I don't know if they are right now. I've locked a lot of stuff down. You know, now that I'm famous. <laughs> I like that we both laughed at that. Um, and so the stuff that I post publicly, the pages that I like, my birthday and current city are all things that I chose to be public or that I know are public explicitly. None of those things are a problem for Cambridge Analytica or the Barack Obama campaign when they did it are problematic for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, The difference is that I'm choosing for those things to be public. Right. All right. And I'm a private citizen on a very small scale. Mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg saying what hotel he's staying in mm-hmm. when he's one of the most famous people on earth and a lot of people are mad at him saying to the world that he's staying in Trump International Washington, D.C. Hotel or the Wardman Marriott mm-hmm. is a problem. <laughs> like, it's it's different. And that's why Dick Durbin is an idiot. Yeah, but if uh, but Mark Zuckerberg, if he had the Facebook app on it, it would try like, hey, you know, would you like to make a connection? I got a friend suggestion for you. Oh, I didn't know Arvin Vore was sitting. You know, why uh, I'm getting this friend suggestion? Well, maybe because he's at the same hotel and the same Wi-Fi network I am on. So DiFi asked about Russian meddling. He said they were slow to it, and it's one of the greatest regrets he has. Um. He said Facebook was tracking known Russian hacking groups in real time, but took much longer to recognize inflammatory posts. The ridiculous waste of our time, this entire conversation, 3,000 posts about arm wrestling Jesus. Uh, (laughs) Zuckerberg said there are people in Russia whose job is to exploit our systems. This is an arms race, which is kind of scary. It is an arms race. It's a gigantic honeypot of crap. Richard Blumenthal, who is one of the largest hunks of crap in the entire Senate, big gun grabber, has been, along with Mark Warner, a huge, 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 uh, he's been very critical Mm -hmm. of these companies, uh, said, I was unsatisfied, more of the apology tour, which we have heard before. Blumenthal said it was clear to him that Facebook could not and would not fully regulate itself and that Congress needed to provide a solution. The old yeah. saying, he, he said, the old saying, there ought to be a law, there has to be a law, unless there's a law, their business model is going to continue maximizing profit over privacy, Blumenthal said. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, this jackass voted for the NSA spine that we just yeah. spoke about. Fine for, well, they don't want competition. And, right. Um, you know, when it becomes President Zuckerberg, the U.S. government will need warrants to go search Facebook. But, um... Yeah, that's the other thing. They were trying to wrap him into, like, do admitting that Facebook is a monopoly. And we're like, well, what's your competition? Uh, email, everything. Everything. The, the internet. Attention. Yeah, attention. Yeah, attention. Like, I, I once spoke to, I was once once talking to our friend uh, Chris Bowers, who works at Morty's Comedy Joint. 
And I said, well, you must be really nervous about your competition opening up a, se- a second club. And he goes, my competition isn't Cracker's Comedy Club. Mm-hmm. My competition is Netflix. My competition is a movie. My competition is dinner. My competition is spending all night playing on your phone. People aren't going to travel an extra 30 minutes to go to that club down there. They're going to stay in their local geographic location. So, like, don't think of it in verticals. And it's the same with Facebook. Like, their competition is for my time is not just Twitter, you know, like or Instagram, which mm-hmm. they own. It's it's doing a podcast. Yep. It's talking to a friend. It's it's reading a book. Like they aren't a monopoly because their business is attention. Right. And the the product that they sell is your attention. Mm-hmm. Okay? And they're losing some of my my business. Yeah, like so. if um the, if Netflix made like a social network just like on the back end of Netflix. Right. And made it a social thing. And made it so almost like so you can Netflix and show someone like a thousand miles away you can all watch the same Netflix movie at this exact same time with the exact same Netflix account right boom into competition to someone with Facebook right because you know that's what the, one of the some of the first like social networks were BBS boards especially with Napster people sharing and talking about things for different communication that was one of the big things with Napster was more of the forum the the BBS style of Napster most people even know it was there but if you're there that hey most people found and talked about music and other things like TV shows and you know just discovered things just just talking with people there yeah, so it just it underlines the fact that this senator doesn't know what he's talking about, like because they just assume, oh well, you're they, they don't understand the internet. They probably don't use Facebook. Yeah, and Facebook is Zuckerberg wants regulation. That's what he wants. Right, he wants to protect his industry. Like it's a great American dr- tradition: mm-hmm. create a brand new product, create a new industry, become the top of that industry, and then buy a bunch of politicians to write regulations that keep you on top forever. Right. Yeah. That's the best thing that ever happened, could happen to Facebook. If they got regulations on social networks, that will keep it so that they'll keep like Twitter around. You know, while they're because Twitter's getting stuck. One reason Twitter's still around is because they haven't banned Donald Trump. So, so John Thune, a senator from uh, South Dakota, Republican, after more than a decade of promises to do better, how is today's apology different, and why should we trust Facebook to make the necessary changes? to ensure user privacy and give people a clearer picture of your privacy policies. Zuckerberg uh, said, So we have made a lot of mistakes in running the company. I think it's pretty much impossible, I believe, to start a company in your dorm room and then grow it to be at the scale that we're at now without making some mistakes. And that's where I give him credit because it's very true. Okay, that this is a, This product, this company, at one point, if you were on, on it, was taking two out of every five of your minutes. Now, that's shrinking. That's a tremendously important product to a lot of people, okay? It plays... The importance in our lives is so tipped into an unhealthy way. Uh, But you you fail... Excuse me. You fail to realize this company is 14 years old, and they have 2 billion users... Mm -hmm. And he's 33. There's not a lot of CEOs in companies that aren't going to make mistakes. Right. And, like, this isn't a – like, in my opinion, this Cambridge Analytica thing is not the BP oil spill. Okay. By any means. <laughs> By any means. 
uh, your your email, the, it, not even my email, my public likes got st- stored on a server somewhere. Yeah. Big freaking deal. So it's it's also overblown by people who don't, they're grandstanding, you know, that word, whatever it is. I, you know, like, I wish, like, Zuck was more of a troll because I wish you would have just went up there and was like, what difference does it make? Or just like, sh- I del- it, all these servers are stored in my bathroom. I'm going to delete all this stuff anyways. Yeah, so, but, you know, that's okay. But yeah, that's the other thing. It's like, it's just like, also some of these centers just couldn't understand, like, the vast of data. With 2 billion people. What if they all just posted 100 characters a day? No appreciation. Now, Chuck Grassley. Like, well, you had AI. It's not magic. Machine learning isn't magic. <laughs> it's not magic. Now, uh, Chuck Grassley is 84 years old. Uh, he's old as dirt. He's been in since 1981. So he's been in the Senate longer than I've been born. Oh, see, we should have just kept went, went with Logan's run. Make him run. So I'm the run, runner. Old Chuck, who chairs the Judiciary Committee said the tech industry, quote-unquote, has a responsibility to protect its users and said the status quo no longer works. I'd love for you to explain in depth the status quo, Chuck, because you don't understand it. You don't get it. Now, here's uh, a part I like. Ted Cruz, do fa- does Facebook favor Democrats? The accusation that Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas, was leveling at Zuckerberg when he grilled him for several minutes as to why social networks has been allegedly... Censoring content from conservative organizations and Trump supporters. This is telling. Zuckerberg declined to answer whether Facebook is a neutral public forum or if it is expressing its own views of free speech, avoiding a complex legal question that mm-hmm. Mr. Cruz was posting. Right. Now, Cruz is a lawyer and he's argued in front of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Zuck was smart enough to see the trap and not fall into it. I know. I thought he was going to get, get hit in that one. Yeah. Zuckerberg insisted that the company does not discriminate against Republican employees and that its definition for what kind of language should be kept off the platform was rooted in common sense. I am very committed to making sure that the Facebook platform is a platform for all ideas. Uh, tell that to Silk and Diamond or whatever their name is and Owen Benjamin. Um, Lindsey Graham... Oh, they were that off, old son of a bitch off the, off the tube though the, not face beef uh graham asks you don't think you have a monopoly zuckerberg says it doesn't feel that way to me orrin hatch uh look how uh, see how old he is i think he's 85 orrin hatch uh, i i think orrin hatch is a nice man uh i'd like to see him retire and get some cake he's retiring uh mitt romney will probably take his place Utah Republican asked Zuckerberg, how could he sustain a business without charging anything for it? Sir, we run ads, Mr. Zuckerberg said. Mr. Hatch replied, I see. <laughs> how do you make money with this Internet business of yours? I was born in 34. <laughs> what? What's his age? Zuckerberg. <laughs> how old is he? He was born in 1934. Yeah, right? but tell me an age. I don't know math. Uh, let's see. Well, we can do that new math style and go 6 to the 34, I... makes it 40. All right. I'm, a... I'm dyslexic in my brain, so. Orin do... Hatch. What? Oh, oh, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Googling. 84. He's 84. Okay. I was trying to help you out. You were not helping. You were taking up precious time, which you know I don't have a lot of. I'm very busy. 
good because I got I have a bunch of different stuff that like a lot of stuff going on in the Discord right now that you would be really into right now. Well, I'm busy doing a show for the people, uh, for the thousands and thousands of amazing, beautiful libertarians. Mm-hmm. And thank you for joining me, Harry. <laughs> Tell the Discord you can wait. Because we got a lot of we got a lot we got some stuff to t- we got internet stuff to talk about. I know, I know, I know, I know. But like, it's just like Nisa's regaling of uh, okay. basically whipping candy ass on constitutional questions at a debate. All right, and whipping we, up on, on we will give a Nice update. And you can you can tell Nice uh, call call in, uh, and we'll, we'll get an update. But tell him to call in in like fifteen minutes. Tell him to call in at uh, ten ten fifty. Okay, so uh, Backpage was shut down. Backpage.com, a classified ad site. A uh, great place to find some poon. <laughs> Sorry. How dare you, uh, Christoph? <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting slap happy. <laughs> Who calls it poon? I'm going to be single forever. Uh, the seizure of its servers. Uh, it was shut down by the feds. Server seized. Mm-hmm. Raised on on both of the founders' homes, but there's no case out there for it. Nothing. Scott Shackelford reported in Reason the DOJ said late Friday that a federal court had ruled that case documents would remain sealed for now. Weird. Hmm. Some Weird. have re- attributed the raid and seizure to FOSTA, which we talked about previously. Mm-hmm. Seems like a big deal that they shut down a website, stole all their stuff, but then there's no court. Proceedings. That's the first time the government has done something like that. Because they didn't like what someone was doing. When else has it done? When, when has it done that? What, like just raided someone, take down someone's site, or just raided and didn't have done nothing with it? Uh, both. Um, both at the same time, or just you want separate cases? Because like, just give me some. Uh, because um, the Free Talk Live studios were raided by the FBI. There's still nothing has happened from, and that's been what three years. Stole all their equipment. Yeah, stole all their equipment. Uh, they got a camera back, I think, wow. and a laptop maybe. But yeah, took all their stuff out. Took every little piece of electronic out, and yep. that is <laughs> crappy. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, stuff does happen. Um, but yeah, it's. Yeah, the whole back page thing and the whole fossil thing is ridiculous. I've reached out to some people like in the community who like have been hit by this, but you're getting hit by a whole bunch of different things. In the um, whole like uh, the quote unquote uh, the with the adult or sex work community has been getting hit, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous um, because like because they're going um, because a lot of sites they're scared of what's going on because you know because it hasn't really been signed into law yet. So they haven't been able to apply any of it. So they really don't know what's going to happen. Right. So like this whole thing, did Backpage get taken by, down by that or by something else? Mm-hmm. The other thing is Backpage is just a site. It just posts things. Third party. It's basically just might as well just been Facebook. It's like Craigslist. Yeah. Or, Craigslist or, for Poon. No, no. It's just a, <laughs> it's just a site. It's, it could have been Reddit, a Facebook group. It could okay. have been a Discord server. It's just it's just a place where ones and zeros and people communicate on, right? And you would think that is supposed to protect you from like there's supposed to be a law in the book to protect you from third party postings. No matter what's going on, you're supposed to be protected as a website owner, the server owner, everything that's posted on third party. Right. Because so this is back page, and. They're not that big, and they can make them look bad. They can get legal presidents to take someone down like that. It's a site that you kind of heard of, but you don't actually go to. Right. 
Yeah. Oh, the lessers go there. Unless you're a perv. Yeah, the lessers go. Oh, see, see, look at you. Look at you. Look at you. See, you do it. Perv. Yeah. Out there hunting for poon. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. It's you know it's it's ridiculous the way they're going after it because a lot of different sites are you know they're shutting things down and making sure you can't do different things like that. Like uh, a lot of um, the a lot of adult workers stuff like that. You can pay to be able to meet them at different conventions. It was yeah. really neat venture. Like, so if you sat there and you watched someone like online or talked to someone, you know, you could have meet to, just to, to meet up with them. Now, granted, no, and no sex will happen. Nothing will happen. It's just more of a, I just want to say hi and meet. Everyone's so afraid they won't even do something like that anymore. It's crazy. They're just so, they're so afraid. Seems like a lot of work <laughs> to meet somebody, but whatever. Hey, you get paid. All right, uh, next subject is uh, an intercept report. The FBI is using freedom of information law to crack down on freedom of information. Classified (laughs) documents released by the intercept by former FBI agent Terry James Albury should concern anyone who cares about civil civil liberties. Uh, The uh, Zach Coplin in the Washington Post writes, The documents outline how the FBI can access journalists' phone records without search warrants or subpoenas approved by a judge. This is despite a 2013 promise by former Attorney General Eric Holder to reform the rules about spying on reporters. The documents also identify loopholes in the FBI rules allowing undercover agents and informants to infiltrate and spy on members of churches, political organizations, and universities something The Intercept said even the FBI acknowledged was a risk to civil liberties. Additionally, they revealed the FBI was targeting surveillance, I can never say that, based on race and religion. The GAO, the Government Accountability Project, suggests news organizations protect sources when making FOIA requests by disguising insider knowledge as part of broader requests for data and documents that aren't specifically tied to the source's work or job responsibilities. Uh, just an update, if you are filling out your taxes, if you haven't already, uh, how do you file your taxes on Bitcoin? If you made some money off of Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other cryptocurrency, you need to declare your wallet, reports QZ. In the past, the IRS has mainly relied on the honor system for people to report crypto earnings. However, after a summons was issued in 2016, earlier this year, Coinbase, the largest cryptocurrency exchange on the Internet, was forced to hand over the details of around 13,000 users, including their tax ID, name, birth, date, address, and transaction records. Boy, there's a data breach that probably should have gotten some uh, coverage. Yep. There were some of the top-earning users from 2013 to 2015 who traded over 20000 on the exchange in a single year. So look for a penalty on not claiming... <laughs> Listen, you're probably not going to get fined, like, but <sighs> risk it. That's what I say. Risk it. Um, we but we don't give legal advice or accounting advice like that. Thank you. But Eric. yeah, the uh... <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Always always looking out for me. Allegedly. <laughs> um, the other thing is, um, with, when it comes to it, understand that because it is property, right? Right. So and you only really have to count it when you a lot of time you only when you count it into cash. But if you count it into that, you can almost probably get away with it as a depreciating property, especially in the crash. Depending on when you got in, when you got out. The other thing with it is um, uh, just, you know, 
depending on how you got your Bitcoins and stuff like that and what you, you, you transfer ledger is, like I said, I'd risk it. I'd put it on a hard drive and if I got some and I'm like, prove I own it. I don't own it. I have no access to that thing. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's a hard drive. Oh, you want me to get in that? I don't remember the encryption code. I'm sorry. All right, final story of the night. Kind of the funniest story of the night. Oh. oh. Knife control is here. Uh, London saw more murders in February and March than New York City, 37 to 32, for the first time ever, apparently. Uh, allegedly which we don't know which we will uh, right uh, i don't trust uh uk's reporting statistical nothing so you got a lot of murders going on mm-hmm. what's the answer to stopping murders in london harry um i would say policing but um <laughs> well okay well <laughs> london mayor sadiq khan has sent more than 300 police on the streets this month and threatened all knife wielders, whether they've assaulted anyone or not, with the for- full force of the law. <laughs> London has banned carrying a knife in public without good reason for years already. Mm-hmm. For many Londoners, carrying a knife in a dangerous city is an understandable matter of self-defense. Well, that's why um, London is the city of chefs, because then you can carry your knife. Right. <laughs> You're a chef. But too often, the government doesn't consider your own self-defense a good reason to allow you to innocently carry a tool, both in London and in American debates, over carrying a gun, and now apparently a knife. Uh, People are being encouraged to surrender their weapons. In London, 23 bins have been put out in the streets and 10,000 knives handed in. Uh, Those involved say just one person changing their attitude can save a life. And then they were immediately stabbed by some Muslims. <laughs> uh, you got a license for that knife, mate? Oh, it, sorry. It, <laughs> as we said earlier, they never stop. They're creating hell on earth, and you must oppose them at every turn. You don't get my guns. You don't get my knife. You don't get me tell. You don't get to tell me what I say and think and do and all that other bullcrap. Leave me alone. But that's the thing, right? They carry knives because they can't have guns. Because some people do have guns in Britain illegally, and people get shot in Britain. Right. Okay? We're also talking about a country that had um, uh, rape grooming gangs for the last 30 years, and that didn't get reported or busted on because they were afraid of being called racist. So I, I, um, there have been cases of the British government uh, the filing for attack when they see three or four, four people murdered in one spot. They would count it as one murder because it was one murder scene. So... I doubt anything that Russia, that UK tells me. Right. <laughs> Especially on their own reporting. Like, oh, this is what happened. It's like, I don't trust this. So in the uh, book Black Banners by uh, Ali Soufan, which is a great book, he talks about, and there's a book called Lon- Londonistan or Londonstan, mm-hmm. and uh, essentially how there was a culture in London that – you were not to you were not to deal with the Muslim, you were not to police the Muslims you were not to say anything bad about them mm-hmm. and the policing agencies especially went out of their way to be politically correct mm-hmm. and American and French uh, it, it, the Americans and the French in the eighties and nineties coined it Lundistan because they uh, they they had protection it was like a safe harbor for yeah. Muslim terrorists. Mm-hmm. Like the blind sheikh was there. It was a major recruiting hub for Islamic terrorists. Uh, so it, it it was a real problem, and it still persists, I, I imagine. But uh, 
uh, they they just don't really police much there. So let's see who's on the line. Oh yeah, we yeah. got a phone call. Oh, we got a phone call. Who who's on the line? It's your boy, James Neese. James Neese, you old <laughs> son of a bitch, our favorite Republican. How are you doing? Yeah, where are you driving? Where are you driving from? Uh, hey, down at DePaul. And, like, only one person showed up and wanted to debate me, so I guess I win. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in a seven-way race with a bunch of Republicans replacing Todd Rakiti in the Indiana 4th. And uh, only one other opponent showed up? Yeah, like, Steve Braun showed up, you know, and he rolled up and... Uh, you know, like, I'm just playing him over, like, uh, every question he did, like, he's one of those, like, uh, people, like, when he runs for office, he, like, says stuff like it's a business, you know what I mean? He's like, well, we're going to find a solution for it. We're going to do this, <laughs> we're going to do that. I'm like, how could you do nothing, jackass? <laughs> like, you, know, you don't got to make shit up, you know? So, like, toward the end of it, like, at the end, you know, people are, like, going up, like, y'all know Andrew Horning? Y'all know Sean Shepard? I'm like, yeah, you know, what up? You know, so, but they're on to me, you know. They're just like, I, like I smell, I smell libertarian infiltration. Like, I smell it up. <laughs> you reek, like. <laughs> you reek of libertarian infiltration. Oh, uh, but yeah, the, like, one woman's like, I'm a libertarian, but I'm a hawkish libertarian. I'm like, God, yeah, that's not work. He's like, well, <laughs> I don't think. I don't think, because uh, one of the questions about putting the National Guard on, like, the border, and I said, you know, that's usually private people's properties, you know? It's, like, people's backyards and shit. And uh, he's like, well, you know, it doesn't violate the Third Amendment to do that. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of does. Are you going to put, like, a, a, a tank in your front yard? You know, we're going to put tanks in people's yards now? Is that how we're going to do it? And she's like, well, it's not your house. I'm like, it's still your property. Like, you don't put no trespassing signs on your front door. You put them at the edge of your property for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, holy shit. He, then the this Democrat was getting all angry and shit. Like, when he was up doing his, his speaking thing, he was angry. He was just, like, screaming and, like, we got to do this, we got to do this. And I was talking about raw milk, how you should be able to buy it without, like, the USDA running the warrants and shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, listen, the reason we have laws to make you for selling raw milk is because it kills people. You know, that's something the government should do is prevent people from killing themselves. And I'm like, over raw milk, shit the Amish drink every day and are fine. Uh, you know, it's like, I'm like, y'all, y'all just fucking nuts, dude. I'm like, I'm just sitting here saying I'm just going to bring the truth home and not bomb Syria. And you're just like, I want to make sure that you drink raw milk. I'm going to send the government to your house and bust down the door. But are you, are you drinking raw milk? <laughs> that is hilarious. So you clearly you clearly won. Uh, yeah, I, I guess because there's only like one other Republican, and he was just like uh, just saying that it's time he worked in the Department of Workforce Development. He's talking about solutions, and I'm like, you know, no one cares about solutions, man. They just want like the ability to do what they want to do. You know, without you, like, taking half the money or, like, whatever you want to do with it, that's the best solution for it. And, you know, you're sitting there saying, well, we're going to raise gun age, the age limit to 21 and stuff. I'm like, okay, okay, that, that's good. It's like, last debate, 
he was talking about raising the gun, the gun uh, purchase limit to 21. And then at this fucking debate, he's like, well, I got an A-plus NRA, you know, uh, endorsement. <laughs> I'm like, how does that work? <laughs> you know, how does that work? Did you call him out on it? I, yeah, I was like, you know, it's uh, when the people are grouped up, you know, we couldn't, like, call it. It wasn't like a debate where I can, like, rebuttal, you know. It wasn't one of those. Right. So, but up there, I'm like, you know, this dude right here was running against me, like, A-plus, but voting for, like, you got to be 21 to buy a shotgun. Sit there being like, I, I preach conservative values, voted Democrat like three elections in a row, and now he's running into Republican because he knows he can't win as anything else in this district. You know, right. so mm-hmm. I'll, I'm like, I'll call him out. I'll call him right there. Like, all everybody in the pot, they're like, you know, I'm sorry about that shit. I'm like, how are you going to get an A plus endorsement and sit there and say you want to like increase the age to 21? Talk about the Department of Workforce Development, which is like the shittiest thing in the state. Like, the thing is terrible. I can use that as an accomplishment, you know. It's like my DWD is an accomplishment because we find all these jobs for felons, but like it's just full of money laundering, you know. So I'm proud of the pay, like it just does nothing but money laundering. Homeboy doesn't even live in the district. It's like, yo, it's like, are you just running because your brother's running? And you're just like trying to have like a business contest for who mom likes best? <laughs> you mean like the Pence boys? Exactly. Like, yo, like, yo, your brother does silly stuff too, like, you know, like, I'm watching the Senate race, and it's like, there's no good person running for Senate currently. It's, they're all trash. Right. Like, you got trash, you know, trash-ass mustard, trash-ass brawn, dude. It's like, they ain't doing nothing, man. Like, these all say the same shit, just yell at each other. And I'm like, no one likes Todd. No one likes that brawn, dude. And it's like, man, elections are trash this cycle, man. They are. Well, I think they are in general. I just, I just don't, I... <sighs> It's hard to find, I think as a libertarian especially, other than James Neese, it's hard to find people that really, like, inspire you. And, like, Gary Johnson, for me, was somebody that I was really motivated to go and support in 2012, and I was excited for him to be the nominee in 2016, and it's just like everybody else ruined that for me. Like, yeah, there are problems with Gary Johnson, but it's just like, ugh, I just want to support my candidate without hearing you people badger me constantly. It's like, we just can't be happy, James. Uh, I, dude, I, I just got done with, like, uh, after this, right, normal, and they asked my position on drugs, and I'm like, listen, dude, I want to wake up at 10 o'clock in the afternoon, smoke a blunt, do my day, come home at, like, 9 o'clock, hit an opiate bit. That's how free I want this shit right now, dude. I want to <laughs> smoke a blunt, roll up, and be like, hey, what up? I got a big pop. You know, it's just, this is how it is. Yep. And I got thoughts with these people, and, like, everybody's like, you know, you don't sound like a Republican. I'm like, because I probably ain't. You know, it's like, <laughs> what up? Well, and I think college, everyone, yeah, like, go ahead, James. Through, go ahead, James. Yeah, he's like, what cost was like, so you're a libertarian. Why are you going to look like a Republican? And they're like, I think we all know the answer to that. <laughs> you no, know, we do. Right. So, mm-hmm. so like, uh, but yeah, go on. All right. Well, I was just going to wrap this up, and I was going to say everyone needs to go look for James Neese for Congress on Facebook. Yep. You can find me from Lafayette down to Putnam County. Rob Kendall's going to be voting for me. It's going to be great. 
if he doesn't, I'll know about it. I highly encourage you to start doing some Facebook Lives. And uh, I will definitely share that on the We Are Libertarians page. I know that we will get lots of shit. But James is one of the smartest individuals that I've ever met. And I know that he has a funny way of speaking. And he sounds like uh, you sound like a stoner, James. Not going to lie. But James is genuinely one of the smartest human beings I know. Probably top three. I would say, would you say he's one of the top three smartest people you've ever met? Yes. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, it, it'd be hard for me to find anyone smarter than James. Always interesting, always funny, 4chan incarnate. He's a mod on the B-board on 4chan. You want, as internet regulation comes through the pipes, you need a mod from 4chan in Congress, don't you, James? Yeah, because right now you got Zuckerberg crying about like stuff in front of Congress. I'm like, listen here, you reptilian fuck. You know, it's like, I'm like, what's up? You know, I hate Zuckerberg. You know what I mean? Like, if I if I were in Congress today and like we're doing that panel where they're discussing about how he traded the information, I would stop the proceeding. I'd be like, listen, you ban me like every other day, dude. Thirty day bans and shit. Like here, right now. Say you're not going to ban me again, and I'll let you pass. You know, and he won't do it because he's a reptile, and I will be like, you know what, dude, treason. There we go, treason. <laughs> I, I think that's reasonable. I think that's totally reasonable. Yeah, no. yeah, because for 30 days, I'm going to ban you for life, all right? This is how we're going to do this. I'm going to ban Facebook for... Throwing 30 day bans out because of their stupid algorithm they're avoiding. If I want to shit post on the internet, Zuck, I can shit post on the internet. You're <laughs> in my world now, boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Final thoughts. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, no, but like, if you want to like support my campaign, like it's pretty, it's pretty digital. Like, there's a lot of people like buying yard signs right now, but they're not effective. And I know they're not effective. It's just a waste money, so I'm not going to do the yard sign. But holy shit, like, there's like a whole bunch of counties that, like, I need to get invited to do stuff for. Like, I haven't been to Carroll County that much, and I know it's just a pig plant. There's not much there besides the pig plant, but fuck, I'll fuck around there, I guess. But you can like me and share my stuff throughout the entire 4th District. It's like Vermillion County, Putnam County, Boone, but you know, all these, all these fun counties on the west, on the uh, western side of the It's not as fun as Blackhawk land because you don't get, like, truck stops. But uh, we got a lot of McDonald's here, man. If you want to catch me at a McDonald's, we can get, like, a Big Mac and uh, just chill through Facebook Live. You can meet up in Carroll County and fucking fuck around. <laughs> yeah. Bring, bring your bring your girlfriend. Like, you know, we'll hang out. I ain't going to cut, you know. And so uh, unless they're, like, Asian waifus. You know, we just bring the Asians. Love them. They do love me. I love them. They, they're, they're kind to me at Purdue. Love the Asians. Uh, I'm okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you, James. We appreciate your insight, and please support James. I promise you should. It's quite – I'll talk to you later, James. Uh, later. <laughs> Comedy Gold. Uh want to wrap up by uh, – Saying I'm not going because this went so long. I'm not going to post that Barack Obama thing. You can go to the show notes. Uh, final thoughts for this episode, Harry Price. How can I put this? 
One, um, when it comes to one of my main thing I'm going to get to is like the back page thing, right? Yeah. You've got to understand when it comes to like the internet and the government seizing anything, they're going to go after the most undesirables. The first, right. the first, the first casualty war would lo- you see a lot of people not care about still to this day is Ross Ulbrich, right? When he was. He went to jail, never handled drugs on that whole website. He's just the middleman on the website holder, which you're supposed to have protection from anyways, from third-party posting people anyways, right? Right. And he did a great thing for the but, – and he's put, he's been put away for life, okay? Now they're doing this sex trafficking thing, and Backpage went down. They went after the, the co-founders of that site. So we'll wait to see what they're going to do to these two people. And they're doing to these two these undesirables while at the same time they've got Zuckerberg in there. So – who has who has played ball mm-hmm. and affected people like us? Right, and you know, just to say, drug deals have happened on Facebook, and I'm sure uh, um, sex workers are working on Facebook. Okay? Sure, there's been several different accounts on that. Miranda on got banned for selling nudes on Facebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. This stuff happens. Okay, so he got protection from that. What's going on? You know, so you're going after these undesirable of people who probably didn't want to play ball. So. When you see stuff like going down through the pipeline, when they're suddenly whatever they're, they're trying to protect, they're probably not. Okay? Right, and that's what I'm saying is like it's be you know as libertarians we we understand and see that, but if you see someone else as they go to have it, try to have that conversation on like why do they feel that way and tell them like what they're doing that because when it comes down to it, hey, you've got to protect the undesirables to protect everyone else. Freedom of speech and freedom of privacy are our generation's civil rights battles. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's and it's these battles that are going to have, and things are going to happen in a weird way. The same way that James needs just brought up the whole putting troops on the border. Well, if I don't want them on my private property, I am you know you know it's a Third Amendment uh, 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 Third Amendment uh, breach because you know you're having to uh, hold up a, a military personnel on your yeah. own property. Granted, you're not putting them in your house, but shoot, it's your property. They're putting tents on your property. So yeah, absolutely. All right. First, I want to say thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Uh, I am greatly appreciative. All of the stuff that you heard that you got out of tonight, things like the New York Times articles, the Stratfor articles, I have to pay for the subscriptions for this stuff. And so I have a lot of new subscriptions and a lot of magazine subscriptions, and I buy books, and I am able to do all that. And I think that as you have seen the Patreon be established and increase since August, I think you'd agree that the show has become more informative. And so the more resources that you give to We Are Libertarians, the more I am able to output. Uh, So if you become a subscriber, then you are helping make yourself smarter. You are helping make – I love this stuff. I have done this forever. I am able to spot the BS. Uh, so I, I try to help you out, but I also uh, – and I just love doing this, and I really appreciate your support, and you guys make it possible because, you know, like a ten a $12 subscription to The Times and 35 to Stratfor, 35 to Cook, and, you know, 10 to this thing and 20 to that thing, and, you know, and then on top of that, all the technical subscriptions like the phone call system or the app system, all this starts to really add up, and if – you aren't a Patreon member, then I can't do this show anymore. And so my pitch to you is that you've made it this far. You've made it nearly three hours into this podcast. And 
I think it's safe to assume that if this podcast disappeared, you would miss it. You would lose something that helps inform you, something that entertains you, that you enjoy. Uh, and so if you would miss us if we were gone, please help support us so we don't go away. We're not at, we're not in any danger of going away, and I'm always you know adding on more and doing more and and uh, and exhausted by it. Uh, but uh, the more resources that the audience gives to me, the more I can output. And I would just say that if you would miss us if we were gone, if you value this, pitch in. Go to patreon.com slash libertarians, Subscribe. I want to thank, first and foremost, our $100 a month subscribers, Brandon Luke, Christy Avery, Craig DaCosta, and Jason Doolittle. You guys are so generous. Uh, it's just amazing that, that people subscribe at that level, and I'm humbled and honored that you guys do that. Uh, at the $25 level, we've got Michael Schulteis, Joshua Sexton, Jacob Klingensmith, Eric Neff, Rick Irvine, Stone Aldridge, Nick Economopoulos, Chad Oakage, Joey Tarner, Carly Ernst, Brandon Kester, Heidi Aldridge, Christian Emmons, Dan Dunbar, Christopher Brokoff, and Todd Singer. And at the $10 level, I want to thank Derek Scott, Michael Eugene Rowe, Brantley Spicer, um, Justin Taylor, Toby Stoltzfus, David Downey, Joshua Haynes, Albert Mrotskowitz, I think I got it, Tom Howd, Hood, sorry, Tom, uh, AJ Valaza, Ray Wolf, Jordan Laycock, Lauren Moss, Mark English, Derek Lynn, John Brett, Logan Knoll, Chris Murray, Reinhold, Joshua Laughlin, Sam Alexander, Jeremy Franklin, Brian Kloss, Joe Benavidez, Sarah Potter, Eric Bartline, David Stovall, Jess Nixon, Justin Mitchell, Derek Mishu, Mike Trant, Zach Felker, James Darling, Brian Travis, Chris Lane, Ryan Clancy, Ken Walker, Rebecca Cash, and David Anderson. Uh, as you can tell, that lot that list has gotten longer and longer. Uh, let's see, I don't know what the count is for that, but yeah, I mean, I really appreciate that you guys give your hard-earned paycheck to this because, as I was saying, I've got a lot of subscriptions, and I know there's a lot of competition for your dollar, and I truly do appreciate that you guys uh, help make this possible. And without it, without you, I just couldn't do it at this point. Um, so thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I truly do appreciate that. Uh, one final story that we didn't get to, Tennessee college student defends her gun-toting graduation photo. It's like super cute girl named Brianna Spencer, blonde, flat stomach, women <laughs> women for Trump t-shirt, lifting up her shirt, showing a gun in her belt. And ABC considers this offense, it, it considers it uh, controversial, Harry. Controversial? Controversial, because she's... Showing a gun in her belt loop, so so it's something she's, she's wearing. She's uh, she just said it's provocative. Uh, they said she said I don't take normal graduation photos. Uh, Seventy nine thousand likes, twenty one thousand retweets. Uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, it's getting a lot of hate. Um, I just think it's 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 one of those things where like the news calling that controversial. Mm -hmm. Is a very subtle form of propaganda. Yes, by saying, "Oh, this is controversial," 
They're saying to everyone who might do the same thing as this girl, mm-hmm. it's controversial. Do you want to be this girl? Do you want to get a lot of hate messages? Because this whole article is about how the hate that she gets. That's a very subtle message to others. Don't do this. Right. Don't embrace gun culture. So it's, there's a, I mean, I would say that, and Harry, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but in the six years that we've done this show, uh, in the 15 years that I've been truly paying attention to politics, I've never felt our values have been more under attack than they are right now. Hmm. From every, every angle, the right, the left, I really feel like, it it is it's not it's definitely not hopeless but i definitely think this audience gets that you've got to wake up you've got to start paying attention you got to start sorting truth from fiction but you got to pay attention first and foremost because there's very subtle things like this that really are propaganda that you need to call bullshit on yeah we have, i think like uh, before it felt more like chess moves and now they just feel like clubs yep it's just clubs now clubs that's yeah. exactly a great way to put it it was like Porcupine pricks, and now it's like rhino spears. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, just get hit with it. Well, I am not going anywhere, so F you, progressives. I know. Progressives on the left and right. I'm, I bring it. All right, thanks for joining us here in this episode of We Are Libertarians. I appreciate all of you listeners, not just our Patreon listeners. Uh, I appreciate everybody who downloads this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is... It is awesome to see the numbers go up every week, and that means you guys are out there sharing it. You're telling your friends, and that is the best way to make this grow, especially in the age of censorship. You've got to share stuff that you like with your friends, yep. especially alternative media like this. So please, 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 please share. Uh, there will be no show on Thursday. I have done too much podcasting this week already. <laughs> I don't feel that I should burden you with another two or three hours of my time. Uh, and so I'm going to take the Thursday to recharge a little bit and uh, hope that you listen to the Mary Ruart interview, give you guys a chance to catch up a little bit. So uh, until then we say goodbye and I will see you Tuesday. Bye everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Libertarians. I'm amazed you made it to the very end and I appreciate that. And that means that you were a true fan of We Are Libertarians and any true fan of We Are Libertarians should listen to our other podcasts. We have a whole network of shows We have The Chris Spangle Show, where I talk about many of my varied interests that aren't political, a lot of podcasting talk. If you're interested in getting involved in podcasting, The Brian Nichols Show. Brian talks to a lot of different folks from the left, the right, the center, libertarian movement. If you love We Are Libertarians, you will love The Brian Nichols Show. The Boss Hog of Liberty. The Boss Hog has basically created a media empire in his small town and has taken over along with his co-host Dakota Davis. I think it's really interesting to see how they've built a media network, and I encourage you to do the same. Upward Political Training, it's a podcast where I've put a lot of training for libertarians on how to spread the message. The Cost, this is a podcast where we break down the human costs of government policy, so be sure to check that out. Raw Audio Politics, where basically I take unedited speeches and interviews and stuff that I want to listen to, and I put it in a podcast feed for you. Miranda's World, Miranda is one of the craziest human beings in a good way that I've ever met. She's so entertaining and so much fun, and I think you will love that. And who could not listen to Tad Talk? Tad Western brings you the rootness, tootness, good time this side of the Mississippi. So be sure to check that out. He's one of the funniest human beings that I know. And if you are chubby and you need to get in shape, 
Then you can't outrun the fork with Brett Bittner, where he talks about keto. Yes, I gave Brett Bittner a show. And you can check out a bunch of other podcasts at libertarianpodcasts.com. I have put together all of my favorite libertarian podcasts up there at libertarianpodcast.com, including our friends Lions of Liberty, The Lava Flow, The Johnny Rocket Launchpad, uh, The Scott Horton Show is one that I definitely think you should be listening to. So go check that out. Lots of great libertarian podcasts out there. You may not know where to start. Start there. And we've also got a comprehensive list of all the libertarian podcasts I can find. Thank you for listening. And if you love We Are Libertarians, please check out all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com.